I do not remember our intro. It's been like six months. You say something along the lines in a deep voice of... Yeah, you're just like, welcome. Fuck, what? Oh my god, what did we say? Intro. Good evening, Fright fans. Welcome to the horror podcast that takes a deep dive into the stories that inspire our favorite horror movies. Join us for movie night as we find out for ourselves if what happened was true. What do the good know except what the bad teach them by their excesses? Welcome to What Happened Was True. I am your host, Lex. <laughs> oh, quiet. Hell, I, thought you guys. Goes, I thought it goes. I thought it goes Alex Amber than me, and then Antonio. And then tell you, he's not here. He's not here. He's not. I know. I know. I forgot to message him. Uh, anyway, introduce yourselves, you guys. Okay, you go first. I just said. I, <laughs> well, oh. all right. Welcome to our show. I'm one of your hosts, Lex. One of. There's three of us today. Oh, there's three. I, I'm number two then. I'm number two. Okay, well, I'm Mel. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say your name, bro. No name, just number two. She's number two, Mel. Okay. Oh, I... Fine. I'm Amber. She's Amber. Ugh. I'm saying my own name sounds weird. It never does sound great when you have to say your own name. Yeah. Dude, wait, so how is your job? You got, I don't know if we want to do some recording, but how is your job? Good, good. I just, oh, for people listening, I just moved to L.A. Me to too. Start, well, yeah. <laughs> but just moved to L.A., started my dream job at an effects company. Woo. Yay. Yay. Yeah, I make breakaway chairs and bottles and, like, blood rigs and stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, nice. Are breakaway things just things that break really easily? Yeah, yeah. Like, for example, the doors we make are, they're out of soft balsa wood. Mm -hmm. So that an actor or stuntman could just smash through it like nothing without hurting nice. himself. And our the... bottles are made out of, like, a very brittle plastic. Oh, cool. You can break them on your heads. I want one. Yeah, yeah. Cool, dude. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Totally worth it. I want to come use it. We like moved in like a week. Yeah, I heard it was a eventful weekend. <laughs> Poor AJ. <laughs> it was fucking right. nightmare weekend for him. <laughs> but there's a lot of cool stuff to do over here, and yeah, I we're go. only like thirty minutes away from the beach instead of like how long? Are you guys like super close to Universal Studios too? Yeah. Yeah, technically. You have to go. It's been five years since I've been. Oh. Totally go though. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's an adventure. Stressful, yeah. but an adventure. <laughs> yeah, because what had happened was I applied, and then I, like, follow up, talk to my new boss. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I could start. It's just I would like to give my two weeks notice or whatever. My boss was like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, well maybe, because it was like a follow-up thing to my interview. And then I messaged him back, like, I could start Monday if you really need me. And he goes, if you could start Monday, then yeah, you got the job. And I called Amber. I was like, dude, I got the job in LA, but I have to start Monday. She was like, let's go. So we drove down like that same day and like we got me in a hotel, hold up for a week. And then I had to find an apartment in a week 
will well, ever. It was like 12 days. <laughs> 12 days? Oh, no. I was only in for a week. I found one in a week. Wow, that's wild. You guys found an apartment and moved in. I, it was so that's stressful. Con- yeah, constant, constant searching and looking, right? I, I was looking every single hour within like at least 16 hours that I was awake throughout the day. Yeah. constantly refreshing my page like looking for a place I'm like, please and towards like the end of the week when i'm like we got to find something or else we're gonna live like in our car for a week or whatever oh, we finally like found two places and one of them never got back to us but the other one well they like responded to us immediately within a day of us applying and we got it hooray like, dude, I had to, well, I had to drive back to help Amber pack because we turned in our notice at our house. Yeah. And the day I was headed back on the way back to Sacramento, I, I like went and got the key from her on the way back and we, we got the apartment. So how's your uh, schooling life going? It's fucking hard, man. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, yeah, for anyone listening, I started a paralegal program. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yay. But I... Uh, I just started the second semester, one week of, of classes, but the first semester when I started this program, oh my God, I got my ass whooped. I don't know if that's, I hope that's the hardest it's ever going to get. Cause it was like, one of them was a legal uh, writing uh, uh, class. And I, I swear on my life, it was, there was a paper due every week. I've never done so much writing. And, <laughs> and like, I, I'm so behind on like eight TV shows and I just <laughs> I was like, I was just doing nothing but writing, but hopefully this semester is a little easier. Yeah, but it's it's good. I feel productive. But yeah, I forgot how hard it is to slip back into that academic mindset where you're just busy all the fucking time. Yeah. 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 I'm so glad I don't have to do school anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. I feel like a lot of my skills are being like, I'm able to really like explore my like research and writing skills, which I feel like are strong points for me. That's cool. Yay. Yeah. I would agree. You should present one of the true stories for this sometime. Yeah, I did that for The Conjuring. Dude, yours was hella good. Oh, yeah. thanks. <laughs> I really thanks. liked your story. Uh, yeah. And Amber played it for her co-workers who liked yours, too. Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to go for, like, a, I don't want to plug another podcast. That's fine. But it, it rhymes <laughs> this schlor. But I was I trying to kind of. I don't know what that is. Okay, cool, Grace. Another, another, no, no, it's fine to mention other podcasts because why <laughs> wouldn't we? Because I was wow. going for a, a lore feel when I was oh that oh you yeah lore really confused me. I'm an ass. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, if we're doing a pop culture podcast, we're clearly influenced by other pop culture. Oh yeah, of course. It's a cycle. Yeah. I when I write stuff. For this podcast, I generally get into a weird Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries vibe in my head. Oh, yeah, dude. Or if not that, definitely Beyond Belief Factor Fiction is like playing in my head yeah. <laughs> for some reason. Or, ooh, you know what? I'm really, I find really inspirational when I'm writing up stuff like that. Um, fucking Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Or, like, you try to want to get like a storytelling. Uh, tone right from the start yeah on that note uh i didn't write anything for this episode oh you didn't <laughs> oh, okay i was gonna so, be like oh yeah we, i mean we can just discuss it i read the article it's i mean really well, good well let me explain because 
basically what had happened was I was going to call it quits on this podcast, to be honest, because I've been super busy, just started a new job, moved to a new city. You just started your college courses and like everything's been kind of hectic and crazy. So I was just going to call it quits on this because, you, you know, we, we don't have time, especially trying to schedule. Our days off are different, too. Yeah, our days off are different completely. I don't have, yep. conventional, I don't have a conventional work week. Neither so, do I. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amber works randomly weekends. Sometimes she gets days off in the middle of the week. Completely yeah. random. Oh, Amber. That sounds like shit. So I was just going to scrap it. I mean, I have a lot of fun doing these, but if we're not available, you know, why pay for it? So I went to try to cancel our account on the platform we post this on. I don't want to say it, but I found <laughs> yeah. out that. If I cancel our account, I still have to pay $25 a month to keep it online. If not, all of our previous episodes get scrubbed from the internet. Wait, so just to cancel it, it costs to cancel it, but you no, no. keep paying for it? If you cancel what? it, yeah. you're done. You don't have to make any payments, but all the episodes you have uploaded will be gone. It'll disappear yeah. forever. Really? And I wanted to keep them online in case people wanted to check it out for whatever reason. And then I figured out that if I just keep paying for it, like I'm a content creator, it's only $15 a month. Yeah. So it's cheaper to keep the account <laughs> open than it is to cancel and keep our content available. We have like eight episodes up. It's a lot of I content know. to just like delete forever. Yeah. I know. Plus, Amber was like, well, if we're going to pay for it, we may as well use it. I mean, you had fun doing the podcast. Let's try to work something out. So I kind of like scrambled like, you're right. I want to use this. I'm paying for it, damn it. I'm actually making less money than I did at my previous job. So I better freaking use this if I'm paying for it. So yeah. in like a dash, I was like, okay, let's try to make an episode. We'll try to make this work. We'll try to make some content. I messaged you guys like, okay, let's try to do an episode. You want to do this, this, and this. I forgot to message Antonio. That's why he's not here. <laughs> hey, Antonio, if you're listening. Hi. Because <laughs> Amber was like, okay, cool. They're ready to record. I'm like, they? She's like, you didn't message Antonio? I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and by the time I realized, I'm like, he wouldn't have time to watch it and then figure out the schedule we're supposed to record. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just yeah, messed well, up. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool. We're here. The other thing was I got Candyman for Christmas, and but, I got wait. What do you mean? I got the movie. Or I got the Blu-ray for Christmas, so I was like, ah, oh, I was totally in a Candyman mood. Oh, the the original one or the sequel? The new one. The new one. Oh, dang, I really gotta fucking watch that. Yes, and that made yeah. me really want to rewatch the other one, which I just ordered. I bought myself I buy myself Blu-rays all the time, but I bought yeah. the special edition. You have a wall of DVDs. <laughs> we know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so on that note, I'm not exactly prepared. Normally, I like to prepare a little narrative story. This time, I I'm pretty much just gonna wing it because this story is pretty freaking scary without any alliteration or not alliteration. What's the word? Fanciness. Yeah. What is the word? <laughs> Hyperbole. Yeah. Without any hyperbole, this story is freaking scary and messed up. It's fucking terrifying, dude. Also, I know. Like, it could happen to you. It did happen. You guys haven't seen that TikTok? What? Huh? You guys haven't seen the TikTok of the the lady? Oh, man. I thought of it immediately when you sent me that um, article about Ruthie 
uh, McQuay. Oh, yeah, that's right. That one TikToker who went viral for climbing into her neighbor's oh, apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah she, I showed she that a, to you. Yeah, she felt a draft in her bathroom. She pulled off her thing. She was like, there's a whole apartment back there. She thought it was the coolest thing ever. I thought it was fucking terrifying. because it's just She another doesn't know entrance. her history. It's, it's another entrance into your house, bitch. <laughs> Yeah, but I know. I can I know. see how it would be super cool to like find that, but I was like, eh, anybody could have come into your house. That's terrifying. White people. Edit that. <laughs> oh, maybe we should add a viewer's discretion advice because this episode will be, or it will touch a lot of topics based upon race. Very oh, yeah. much so. We We cannot avoid it. And. If you're one of those conservative freakouts people, then best to turn it off. Yeah. Savor your brain ears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll. I mean, we'll try to like. We'll try to go about this in like a, a as sensitive as possible. But yeah. We'll yeah, we'll try it. being sensible, but yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard not to like hard not to like address this movie without also addressing racial issues. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Even though it was made by British people, so. Yeah. Interesting choice, by the way, to make the protagonist a white blonde woman. Well, she was in the book, which we could talk about. Was, oh, was I supposed to read that? Okay, never mind. No, you, I didn't, you didn't have to read the book, because the book is... I'm going to be honest. I like Clive Barker's writing, but I did. I thought the story was kind of lame. What exactly is in the story? Is it verbatim what the movie is? No, not at all. I mean, oh. uh, do you want me to get into the true story first, or... Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So I guess in order to get started, I, I, I think I should describe the projects that she lived in. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, no, no. All right. I'll, I'll start with the case first. April twenty second, nineteen eighty seven. Dispatch got a call from a frightened woman complaining about somebody breaking in through the wall. So I brought up these, or I, I brought up the article, and I actually want to read you part of the transcript. Because it's important. Mm -hmm. So she called 911 and said, I'm a resident at 1440 West 13th Street. Some people next door are tearing this down, you know? I mean, she's she's really frantic, kind of intelligible. She, the dispatcher's, like, confused. Like, are they trying to break in there? She said, yeah, they throw down the cabinet. He's like, from where? I'm in the projects. I'm on the other side. You can, you can reach my bathroom. They want to come through the bathroom. All right, ma'am, at what address? So she repeats her address, and she says, apartment 1109, the elevator's working. Your name? Ruthie Mae McCoy. All right, I'll send the police. Now, the dispatcher here, obviously confused, had no idea what she was saying. He later blamed the fact that she wasn't, like, speaking properly, which is kind of... I'm not even going to get into that. But the point yeah. is... Rather than report this as a break-in, the dispatch told the police that it was a disturbance with her neighbors. So they weren't exactly in a hurry to come. Because yeah. they just thought it was like a fight or something. Yeah. 9.35, police show up to investigate, and they bang on the door, and there's no answer. So in the meantime, by the time the police arrived, there was already two more calls to 911. People called saying they heard gunshots coming out of 1109. So confirmed, people have heard gunshots coming out of the apartment where this woman had just called screaming about people breaking in. When the police showed up, all they did was knock. And when she didn't answer, they went and got the super to let them in. Yeah. When he tried his key, it didn't work. At one point, they told the dispatch to try calling her back to see if she would answer the phone. And they could just hear it ringing. 
And the cops later told the people or in the report that it sounded like they heard somebody holding someone, like maybe someone was being held hostage or something. But since she didn't answer the door, they left. Okay. So by the next day, Deborah Lassie, who was like one of her friends in the apartment, her neighbor, she was actually the one that called the police to request a welfare check because she knew that there were police at Ruthie's door the night before. And Ruthie always came and said goodbye to her and checked in with her on her way out for the day. So she thought it was really weird that the next day she didn't hear from her. So she called the police again to do a wellness check. And when they went to knock on the door, again, there was no answer. So they suggested breaking the door down. You know, welfare check and the person's not answering. There's some cause for concern. Yeah. So the security guard ended up stopping the cops from breaking in and saying, hey, if you don't have permission, the tenant could sue you for damages to the door. And the police will be, department will be responsible for the damages. So the cops decided that was too much trouble and they left. God. Yeah, they just <laughs> left again. So that, that was the second time they left. It's just a human life. God, this guy. By now, Deborah's freaking out. She knows there's something wrong. They didn't even complete their welfare check. By the Friday, so this is like almost three or four days later, by the Friday, she eventually called the housing office and demanded that they help her check on Ruthie. Oh. So they went and got a carpenter who had to drill out the lock because none of the keys they had were working for some reason. And that's when they found her on the floor of her bedroom, four gunshots, one in the leg, one in the shoulder, neck, and arm. How many days later was this? Four days later. Oh, well, middle of the night, so about three and a half. That's three and a half more days that should have been to get to her. No kidding. Sorry, Al. No, I I was just looking at my notes. Okay, one in the abdomen, one in the arm, shoulder, leg. That's not important. Uh, The point is she was shot four times and bled out on her bedroom floor. Yeah. Of course, there was an investigation trying to figure out what happened. First thing the police noticed was all the all of her money was missing, obviously, because this was clearly a robbery. And then they noticed that the house phone was missing because this is the 87. So there were landlines. Her phone was missing, which is kind of distressing if you consider that the cops heard the phone ring when they were outside her door. There for a while. That means that whoever was shot, then. Were, yeah, whoever shot her was there then and then later took the phone with them. Yeah. And that's when they noticed that her medicine cabinet was gone. How fucking terrifying, dude. (laughs) Okay. Terrifying. Yes. So, in these projects, specifically, these were the Alma Alba apartments, right? These were, I mean, if, if you think about the hood, right? How scary it is normally in these kind of, like, project neighborhoods. Imagine that stacked in a tower where nobody could escape this is like that movie dread basically if you if you have no other frame of reference imagine like boys in the hood only they have no streets to run around in they're just stacked on top of each other oh gosh i mean i don't know how else to describe this scenario because these kind of projects these days are kind of rare they don't really have high-rise projects anymore specifically because of how bad it is for the people who live there a lot of them claim it's worse than normal projects basically it's the kind of thing where like every floor had 
crackheads, uh, people on PCP, drug addicts. There was no windows, no lights in the halls because people would steal the light bulbs because you could use those to smoke crack in. If you ever. Oh, that's why the light bulbs were going. Yeah. Dude. Wait, okay. are people stealing <laughs> your light bulbs? No, 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 no. I, I remember reading that in the article and I was like, light bulbs go for like 60 cents. Dude. Oh, okay. There's a purpose. For, I thought they were selling them. No, no, no. Yeah, you I don't can... know anything about drugs. Drugs. That's oh, okay. I understand. The story is fascinating to me because in researching this, it's, yeah, it's sad too. Yeah. Well, the thing is, in researching this, I listened to a lot of podcasts. You know, to try to see how other people present this story. And the thing that is the most interesting to me is the fact that every podcaster I listen to that talks about this story didn't grow up in the projects. So to all of them, it's some outside story, and it's like this other thing that happened in this exotic community. I mean, I, this is why this story kind of resonated with me so much as a kid, specifically Candyman. Dude, I grew up in the projects. We were in government housing. So are we. I know. I remember. That's the <laughs> point. Our family was not. We had no money growing up. Yeah, we're the... Section 8 housing. We're yeah. children of immigrants, so yeah. that that happens. Uh, Mel's dad and mine are brothers, so yeah. they naturally had the same upbringing. But yeah. uh, the the thing about the story that's so fascinating is it's not that exotic to me. When I hear stories of like, oh yeah, the police didn't show up because they thought it was a hoax, that's yeah. not shocking or surprising to me in yeah. any in any way. Like yeah. hearing about the conditions and how horrific it is to the a lot of other podcasters that talked about this. Yeah, that's what happens in those areas. People can't afford cheese. What do you, t you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Certain people haven't been put in a position, so it's kind of hard to really, I guess, understand it. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, and even now, like you, you still kind of see that like, like apathy towards like impoverished people from the police all the time like hear a crime like of, of this magnitude happening in like a rich neighborhood then you see that on the front page of any paper mm -hmm. but if it's coming from a neighborhood like the kind that me and al grew up in you don't hear about it at all because they just expect that that kind of thing happens i mean perfect example would be i grew up in a really nice area for like 16 years or whatever and after Things went downhill. We had to move into the hood, and it was like a completely different situation. Where yeah. an incident happened in the nice neighborhood I grew up in, the cops were there really fast, and there was like I don't know, like at least fifteen cop cars at our house because an incident happened. But then when another incident happened, when we moved into the hood, no one came. <laughs> so I mean, I... yeah. I mean, as stupid as it sounds, I remember the first time I called 911 and I was so freaked out, but for all the wrong reasons. Amber the car was me, on fire. Amber made me call 911 and I was like, they're going to shoot us. She's like, why, why would they the shoot car us? On fire? We passed the car on fire and Amber was like, oh, oh quick, call 911. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. What are you talking yeah, I about? Your car was on fire. Okay. No, no, just a random car. Um. It, but Amber made me call 911 and I had like an anxiety attack about it. Like, I'm on the phone with the police. What do I do? I didn't do it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I want, I do want to say, because this feels important to say, we're not 
saying that all impoverished people are automatically criminals or they're bound for criminal activity in the future. It's just, it would be, it would, it would feel disingenuous of me to say that heavy criminal activity doesn't occur in neighborhoods like this because it does. Oh yeah, so, no, totally. Yeah. I just want to get that out of the way. So. <laughs> in an environment where the safest people around are gang members, or at a place where you're essentially like your area is essentially ignored by the police or victimized by the police. No one's really there to keep you safe. And a lot of times in those situations, you can't call for help if there's an emergency. What do you do? You ask your neighbors if they're gang members, if they're willing to help you, then you would ask them for help. And by then you're loyal to them, not to the police. Yeah. That's sure as hell how it was in my neighborhood. <laughs> not that I wasn't a gang or anything. But in, in neighborhoods like the kind that you and I grew up in, like, there are unsavory characters. Yeah, there's you know? unsavory yeah. characters everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Why were we in the article? Uh, We were just talking, I was just describing the tenant, because mm -hmm. th this is fascinating to me, because, of course, I grew, like we said, we were talking about the projects, the contrast between a normal hood and high-rise ones is insane to me. You're all packed together like sardines, and, I mean... In my neighborhood, you were cool because you could just avoid people that you thought were sketchy. If you were in a high rise, you were literally wall to wall with these people. That's true. And in the article, they do talk about like even just like the structural like integrity of that high rise. I would be I would be terrified just about like of just like collapsing. Dude, because they talk about in the article they talk about how like um um if someone like breaks into your house and your lock is like broken that you can either wait for maintenance to take care of it, which will take weeks because they're being ignored by their landlord, or you yeah. can just do it yourself. And I was like, God, could you imagine like, just being terrified your yeah. door is like broken for the next month you're waiting for maintenance? Do you Hell remember my dad pretty much working for our maintenance people in the neighborhood because of that? No, not at all. He would constantly do repairs <laughs> all around the place. Like that's like we've changed all of our locks. He fixed all of our vents. My dad fixed our water heater. All shit that the supers were supposed to take care of. My dad ended up fixing. Yeah. I didn't know that, but that sounds like something your dad would totally do. Super nice. Yeah, because they yeah. they were understaffed anyway. Actually, in this tenement row apartment, these are the ALBA apartments, the Alba apartments. Uh, there were supposed to be three supers per building. And by 1987, there was only one per building. Ugh, that's not, that is not, not nearly enough. No, not at all. To take care of all of those, all of those units, three separate buildings. Yeah. Actually, it, it explains why their keys didn't work. Ruthie McCoy actually replaced her own locks multiple times. I fucking would. Like I said, if you wait for maintenance, if you wait for maintenance for weeks, yeah. To come change your lock and you live in an area with high criminal activity, I would change the shit out of my lock. Of course. And the thing that's really scary to me when we were talking about it, these places have like cinder block walls. You could get through that shit with a hammer. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even. Yeah. Just not... bust your way in. A lot of times these kind of places don't even have like real. I, I know in my house, it was just drywall and newspaper. Like all the walls were. I'll tell you guys a story of how the roof of our bathroom collapsed after a rainstorm. <laughs> no. <laughs> we lived in a really fucking bad place and uh, the landlord just didn't give a shit. And um, whenever it would rain, the rain would come through the roof and you'd have to like put buckets everywhere to catch the water. Anyway, after a particularly rainy night, um, 
the just the roof of our bathroom just collapsed in and what then they the said heck? someone could fix it thankfully me and aj like our parents are at work and me and AJ were home neither of us is in the bathroom thank god but we were like oh but it just felt normal <laughs> i don't know we didn't make that big like it didn't feel like a big deal because like collapsing walls and shit is just normal when you're fucking poor yeah it just, it's normal yeah. it's, it was not a big deal at all but we were just like we were glad that the rest was in there but then eventually like the landlord sent someone out to fix it because you can't have a hole in your house I honestly believe that the reason why I have any skills that are transferable to, say, carpentry or even sculpting or elect, like being an electrician, all those skills had developed because I was hella poor. Yeah. And my dad was like, well, looks like we got to repair this and we'd have to patch our own walls. We'd have to like, you know what I mean? Like I learned all these weird repair skills because we couldn't wait for nobody to come fix that shit. That wasn't safe. Kind of like why your parent would be the mechanic if you grew up poor, because you had to take care of it yourself. <laughs> My dad was not a mechanic. <laughs> Sorry, I got swept up in trying to describe the building because the idea of stacked hood kind of fascinated me. Um, basically, the one of the things to note about this apartment was the squatter situation. So normally when there's a vacant home in like one of these neighborhoods, crackheads will descend upon it. I oh I talked about I could not believe that when I got that <laughs> shit, dude. But it you makes just... sense. It makes so much sense to do. Well no, I mean like, I, I don't like, know why, but my friend pointed out that I mentioned crackheads in this podcast quite a lot. And I think it's because when I was a kid, there was crackheads everywhere in my neighborhood. Yeah. But the thing about this uh, high-rise, these uh, Alba apartments, every time there was a vacant apartment, crackheads would descend upon it and like turn it into their drug den until somebody chased them out to move a new tenant in. And basically what had happened was when the police went to investigate the medicine cabinet on the other side, they found that the person living there wasn't on the lease. And... He actually claimed that the person that had paid for the lease, because the, the apartment 1108 was paid in full, and he claimed that the person that lived there gave him the key. Like, she was an old friend, she moved out, but she had already paid for it, so she just let him stay there. And that kid's name was Tim Brown. When police went to investigate, they found that Tim Brown and his friend... Uh, he was living in 1108 next to Ruthie. Or adjacent to Ruthie? Is adjacent the same thing as next to uh, no. next to this this was next to these were the thing is these apartments were next to each other wall to wall and they next shared a wall okay so i think i should explain what what was going on with these medicine cabinets they had these things called uh pipe chases which are a design feature so that plumbers could get in and out of the pipes quickly and easily without too much fuss in these cheap like housing developments uh Obviously, there's a flaw there because normally you would have a barrier between one apartment and the next. What these kids found out was, and, and this was common knowledge in the building, that you could enter and exit apartments via medicine cabinet. And this wasn't the only incident where this happened. There was actually another arrest made a couple months before of kids running through some lady's apartment like three kids ran through this lady's apartment she caught one of them and held him there till the police came so 
all the neighborhood kids knew this trick of getting in and out of people's apartments. So it wasn't like an unheard of thing. It's just a really, really hard to explain thing. So when these people tried to break into Ruthie Mae's apartment, how do you explain that to dispatch without going, oh yeah, there's a hidden passage that connects apartments. They're trying to come in through the, you know what I mean? And plus she's erratic. She's got some like, mental health issues yeah. she sounded crazy and you're also talking to a, like i mean i don't want to say anything about like the operator but like you're talking to like, a police force that's probably very likely biased against you already yeah of course yeah. you imagine spouting out something like that and they're just like okay lady like you know i mean bias aside that is very confusing it's, it's crazy someone's coming <laughs> through my freaking window or not my window my mirror my mirror my bathroom yeah. he's coming that's what she said to the police they're coming through the bathroom he's like what is she talking about yeah you'd probably assume that you're crazy and it wasn't her only time involved with the police because she i mean i'll get into it in a bit but she kind of got in fights with people all the time that escalated to police calls yeah Ruthie Mae was, she was very mentally ill a bit about ruthie may mccoy she was born in 1935 and she was one of eight children. So her family moved to the south side of Chicago to look for work and whatever, you know. But over time, they ended up in and out of like low-income housing, as you typically would. She eventually dropped out of school in the 10th grade. By the time she was in her mid-20s, she started having some mental health issues. Her family noticed she started talking to herself, would have a lot of random mood swings. Now, this was like... The 50s. So people didn't really talk about mental health then. I mean, we still, I could go on and on about this, but like we're at a point where we're starting to take mental health a little seriously. But when it comes to actually like addressing it and trying to treat it, it's still we're on a rocky road. Very much so. I feel like it's a modern thing. Like maybe 2000s earliest is when people started to acknowledge that, hey, maybe we should. Maybe we should work on this. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until pretty recently where, like, um, PTSD wasn't just something war veterans went through, you know? Yeah. yeah. But back back then, like, I mean, Thousand Yard Stare, they, they were just like, oh, PTSD is a war thing. It's only for veterans when this could, it could hit literally anyone for yeah. a variety of reasons. Anyway, but, like, yeah, poor Ruthie made it. In the 50s, they were probably just like, she's a crazy woman. <laughs> Well, her family was also really religious, their Baptist oh, background, no. oh, and no. her brother actually became a preacher. And at one point, he, I have a quote here from the article that says uh, he blamed her mental illness on her stepping away from God. That's so unfair. So I, feel like, I feel like a lot of the, the exorcisms of like centuries past were probably just people going through really severe mental health episodes like Annalise Michelle. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, oh, it's also that, sad when we think about it. That's an episode for later, Mel, if you want to cover that one because I was real I was just gonna ask if I could. Dude, if you want to present, <laughs> I, I say do that one. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm like eating something like a bit of the stomach. It's um, okay. Yeah. I'm eating a hot dog filled with noodles. I grabbed a cookie. Um what? Did you what? just say? What did you just what are you eating? I said I'm eating too. No, you said you're eating a hot dog full of noodles. If you heard me, why'd you ask? No, <laughs> because I needed to hear it from your mouth. What is that? <laughs> what <are> you... <laughs> I made like 
pasta and I put hot dogs in it. Like, why not? Oh, dude, I no, I was imagining like I thought you were. I thought you were eating a whole hot dog with with the hot dog in a bun, but there was like spaghetti through the hot dog, like long wise. I've had spaghetti tacos. No, but like spaghetti, like a noodle going through the physical hot dog. <laughs> How did we get onto this topic? I have no idea. That oh. was the image. I'm gonna have to. I'll, I I will do my best to draw this on like paint and then send it because I. I actually feel. I know I've seen that meme before of somebody doing that. Like they stuck holes into it and it looked like a porcupine, and then they tried to cook it and the noodles look all funky. I'm just imagining like a noodle-filled hot dog, but I was like, hot dogs aren't filled with anything except for just the well, except for like the meat. They do those cheese ones. Those are so good. Anyway, sorry, I got to talk about hot dogs. Have you guys heard that song where it? I know what a JPEG is. I just want a picture of a goddamn hot dog. <laughs> what the hell is this? Have you heard of it? No, I love it. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. Back to the story. Okay. So occasionally she would be on medication, but of course, like anybody, like anybody, like any (laughs) any anybody in that poverty line there, her medication would only last so long before she couldn't afford to get more. So right, and America doesn't have good health care, so there's that. Yeah, yeah, yes, for our listeners overseas. It's not. It's not great over here. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's not okay. It's a lie. We have no listeners overseas. I was joking. <laughs> I know, right? We don't even have listeners on the other coast. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, I saw a few people. I think from Florida or oh. New York area. Oh right, I have a friend that moved over there. Anyway. <laughs> Eventually, in her mid-twenties also, Vernita gave birth to her first kid, which, of course, being Ruth's grandson, she had to help take care of and also babysit. At one point, Vernita herself was arrested for battery after she got in a fight with somebody, and Ruthie was forced to take care of her grandson on her own, where they stayed in their uh, Humboldt Park basement apartment. Now... Things were going fine for a while until a flood took it out and they were forced to leave. Due to the emergency and how hard it was to find a new place, Ruthie was forced to apply for CHA, which was government housing. Were they calling it Section 8 then? Was Section 8 a thing back then? I don't think it was called. Or is this different? I think Section 8 was later, right? Like I remember Section 8 coming about in the 90s when I was a kid. I don't don't know if that... No, because we lived... I don't want to say the street name. Yeah, the, that's fine. <laughs> neighborhood where I live. Neighborhood where I live got torn down <laughs> entirely. They literally ripped out the foundation. Yeah, dude. It is so fucking different now. Because my sister lives um down the road. Oh. And I drive past your old neighborhood all the time. And you would never know that anything else was there but those townhouses. It's yeah. so different. Completely. Hmm. Completely. They, they yeah. literally tore out the foundation. Yeah, I just built up a new one. Yeah. Totally gentrified my old neighborhood. Not a single thing is left. Not even the trees. Yeah. 
I've yeah. always wanted to like go down there and drive through it, but I'm pretty sure like because I was like, do they have a park there still? No. But it's all just houses. All just houses. Well, apartment thingies. It looks like a generic apartment block. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Uh, a lot but, of memories there. Yeah. Oh, but uh, my friend has assured me that they are slowly turning it back into the ghetto, so that's promising. Oh my god, it didn't take long. Where the hell was I? What the hell were um, we talking about? Why did we so start you were at the part? Ruthie May was just she she had just applied for the oh, and the, then you asked me ABLA housing thing place. So she applied for emergency government housing, and she ended up being sent to the ABL homes. Like I said, they're the high rises, the apartment block known as the ABLs. Each one is named after the different developers that worked on it. She ended up in the Abbott grace apartments. And that's important because uh, of the different tenement houses, the Abbott grace was known as the most dangerous one out of all of them. Uh, I think it's worth noting that one of the reasons people didn't care about what happened with Ruthie May's disturbance call was that there were three other murders in the building within the same weekend. Oh my god! So to the cops, are like, we we don't even know that one's actually a thing, but we know that these other ones are. You know what I mean? So I I guess that's an excuse. Not yeah. really, but <laughs> if anything, that means they're already on the scene. So I have no idea if that even matters at that point. But right. So, quick description of these ABL homes, ABLA homes, uh, ABLA. They were made up of mostly black tenants, majority of them under 18. They had 33 row houses, which were basically like little town, two-story townhouses, and there were nine high-rise buildings. That's a lot of fucking high-rises. And they were those weird Y-shaped ones they don't make anymore. Y-shaped? Yeah, see, the idea was that they had a big courtyard where the street should be. And the idea was that people would congregate in the middle of these buildings and try to build a community. That was the design anyway, but it never worked oh, that see. way. All it did was make it so that it was harder for, like, police and, like, emergency services to get into the area because the damn driveways were so far from where people where the buildings were. Yeah. Really, really, really bad design of these places. So the other thing was when Ruthie May applied for these government housing, she actually requested to not be put in a high rise. Now, she was, as I mentioned, suffering from that. Yeah. Well, not only was she suffering from mental health issues like we described before, she was also apparently really, really, really scared of heights. Oh, man. And she wrote multiple letters that, to the uh, CHA office describing and requesting to not be put in an upper floor if she had to be in one of these buildings not an upper floor so they put her on the ninth floor yeah I mean at that like if you're, if she's applying for emergency government housing I imagine they're just going to be like you don't really get a choice we're going we're, we're gonna to put you where we're going to put you and you can take it or leave it and unfortunately for her she had to take it we're just going to be homeless yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. The whole, like, you know, beggars can be choosers. I think it was the ninth floor. I actually didn't write. All I know is she was uh, at the end of the hall, and she was super high up, and she was already freaking out because 
Now she was up high, and it was all narrow and confined now. It was on the 11th floor. <laughs> on the 11th floor. Oh my god, it's so high up. <laughs> that's, that's so high up. Holy so crap. High. By the way, huh? yeah. Section 8 started in 1974. Oh, okay. Yeah, I imagine your your income, your median income had to be extremely low to get into one of these. I'd imagine that if CHA would be working with Section 8 housing units. Also, the Section 8 wait list is, like, absurdly long. Like, the one one in my area is, like, it's 10 years long. I was going to say, I've heard, like, 10 years or so. I wrote this down, but I don't remember if which article I got it from, but they said that the average income for families in these apartments was 400 a year. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. No, 40, I think it's 40, 40,000 a year. Dude, that's hella bank. 40,000 a year is hella bank. I don't even make that much Four then maybe it was 400. It's 87. <laughs> I don't know how much that was. Maybe 4,000. No, I'm all curious. Oh, oh, no. I found a line. The average family in the census tract was pulling in a cool 4500 a year. 4500 That $4,500, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's hard to live off of, but I guess. Oh, so tangible. you said 87 now? Yeah. Uh, that's the equivalent of $11,000 now. Oh, okay. That's, okay, man, yeah. Could you imagine $10,000 a year? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh yeah. god, it's so <laughs> <laughs> um huh. sorry about what I said. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's fine. Um hard times, man. Yep. Oh shit. Uh <laughs> cut that out. I am gonna yeah. cut I'm not gonna leave in any of that. It's cut just, this whole podcast out. I don't, I don't want anybody to learn stuff about us that specifically, just that I'm bitter and poor. Bitter and poor that we are. Wait, so you said one is was one of the high rises Cabrini Green, or was it just near Cabrini Green? Because that's mentioned in the movie. No, I I don't think one of them was Cabrini Green. Because if I remember correctly, the one in the movie was like a block away from these apartment from these. It, they were all the projects, but they weren't part of that uh, structure block. The projects were from one end of Cabrini to the other, and it was. I think to 46th Street, from what I remember. So Cabrini Green falls in that line of these are all the hood. The local gang that was in charge at the time were called the Paymasters. Of course, they ran the whole building via drug operations. And like I mentioned earlier, they would just squat in different apartments as they became available. They said that the crime was two times the amount of the entire city. In that specific tenant block, the oh. Grace Abbott apartments. Jeez. Oh, God. Yeah. Two times the entire city. That includes the other project buildings. It In that specific one, it was two times as bad. Dane. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. When she moved into the apartment, she lived there with her daughter and her two grandkids and her daughter's boyfriend for a couple of years, and everything was going fine for a while, but then her and her daughter's boyfriend started fighting a lot and eventually they moved out by the time her daughter moved out she was on her own of course still paranoid still kind of off and she apparently she she got like really depressed 
I wouldn't want to be alone in any LA homes. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. The thing is, according to her neighbors, she started getting worse. She became that lady, if you know what I mean. Like, she was the one that would get in fights with all the local kids, telling them to be quiet. Like, they would make fun of her. She would chase them with a stick. One of those kinds of people. I had a neighbor exactly like that growing up. <laughs> uh, anyway, she walked around with a stick that she threatened kids with. And she started becoming way more paranoid. Apparently, she had an obsession with locks. Like I said before, she changed her own locks on her door frequently. She would go around to neighbors and try to open their front door to see if anybody left their doors unlocked. And if they did, she would yell at them and reprimand them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't try my hand at opening anyone else's door, but... She also set off several alarms in the neighborhood multiple <laughs> times checking people's cars too because she was kind of obsessed with it um did sorry did the article ever say what exactly her mental illness was yes i i was gonna get to that as okay. soon as I'll i get to that in my notes <laughs> <laughs> anyway she um uh, she started experiencing our neighbors reported even more erratic behavior like she randomly like alone would be outside doing snow angels by herself in like middle of the night and she was known to wear, like, heavy clothing and multiple layers during the summer. People just thought of her as odd. Of course, she's suffering from paranoia. She's also talking to herself. She's kind of hit a critical point as far as her mental health issues. At around this time, around August of 1986, she was babysitting her oldest grandson, Bobby. Uh, he was about age four at the time. And she rushed him to the AR after he fell down some stairs. So he had deep cuts in his hands, face, and legs. And the ER staff accused her of pushing him down the stairs. They ended up calling Child Protective Services on her because they thought she was abusing him. And, of course, she went berserk on them. And she had to be restrained. And her daughter had to come pick him up. And when Vernita came, she actually ended up signing papers to have her signed up for treatment at a the illinois state psychiatric i wrote i i don't remember what i stands for illinois illinois state p and then i wrote i sorry uh at ispi <laughs> she was eventually diagnosed with residual type schizophrenia it was illinois state psychiatric institute so institute okay well, while she was there, she finally got some treatment for some of her issues, and they diagnosed her with residual-type schizophrenia. Now, basically everything that describes her is a symptom of this schizophrenia, like random mood swings, paranoia, superstition, erratic behavior. All of these things 100% applied to her, and it would come and go in waves. It wasn't like she was constantly suffering, so... By September 86, she was officially discharged, and she was actually granted additional treatment at the Chicago State-funded psychiatric play. Uh, my notes don't have the last letter of that acronym. <laughs> Wait, where did my... What the heck? Where's the... <laughs> Hold on. Oh, the, the Mount Sinai Psychiatric Center. Mount Sinai Psychiatric Center where she participated in group therapy, uh, arts and crafts stuff, um, GED classes. She finally got her GED. She went from, when she arrived, she was at a seventh grade level. And within a few months, she made it all the way to the ninth grade level. Like she was a good student. 
It's nice. Her life was finally on the up and up for once. Yeah, it's so, kind of sad because it's super sad. It's super sad because she's finally yeah. found a community that accepted her. She is going to group therapy. They actually. Yeah described her as like the mom type because she would constantly give the younger women advice and kind of take care of them and dote on them and she was finally getting treatment for her issues yeah like for what like like for the probably the first time in her life like she probably had some like good supportive like footing in life yeah it's it's really sad because she didn't have long after this it's really sad like oh yeah this shit happened in the middle of when she was finally like getting some fun man I, I mean, arguably, it was her getting better that led to this happening. Oh, you're right. Um, yeah, I just remember. In September of 87, like early 87, she applied for SSI, the Social Security Income. Yeah. And she, oh, she actually applied in 86. September 86, she applied for the SSI income. So roughly around the time she was admitted hmm. and by the time 87 came around she found out that not only was she granted the ssi income she was also issued back pay for the months she waited to hear a response she got paid <laughs> yeah she got paid a lot yeah. because it was like at least six months since she applied so they paid for that plus her income went from like 140 something to 340 that's a big jump yeah and she got a massive check and i wrote it down it was no i didn't write it down but she got a massive <laughs> check <laughs> oh my gosh i'm gonna try to find it and then I'm i know now i'm curious like, and here are the numbers <laughs> i don't have the numbers i just know that it was high i'll find it i'll find it i just wrote that she went from 154 dollars a month to 340 dollars a month a month i don't trust your numbers sorry my numbers oh. suck I found it. Okay, what was it? Uh, she so when she got all that back pay, she received a lump sum of one thousand nine hundred seventy-nine, so just under two thousand dollars. That's it. Eighty-seven money. Eighty-seven. That is that's a five thousand dollar check. Holy shit! Okay, that's yeah. a big damn check. Yeah, and for her too, you know. She had a thing with banks or whatever, and she had the check cashed and kept the cash on her. Didn't she also start buying some stuff? Like she wasn't going wild, but she when you started start, yeah. buying necessities, and she was planning on using it to move. So she was stashing it while looking for another place. She bought some essential items, and her neighbor started noticing that she's like she's got some money there. Yeah. Then one day on the van ride home, she told one of her group members that somebody had threatened her life. Now this gets kind of weird because. The lady suggested that she tell one of the employees because they weren't sure if it was another paranoid thing or if it was a serious issue. But uh, Ruth decided not to really pursue it because she didn't want to get anyone involved and she figured she was going to move out soon anyway. Right. Yeah. Now, it's not really clear if this was in any way connected to her robbery and murder because, again, she got in a lot of fights with the neighborhood kids. So I, I don't know if that's even connected, but it's worth bringing up because that was the morning of the day she was killed. Right. So back to the crime. When the police checked the crime scene, all they found was one shell casing. They noticed that her all of her cash was missing, and so was her 19-inch TV and a rocking chair from her apartment. 
along with the phone, which I had mentioned earlier. Right. That's, of course, when they discovered that the medicine cabinet was also missing. Jeez. That means that whoever broke in stole the cabinet, too, by the way. Why would they do that? I have uh, no idea. But That's a that, good mirror. They didn't even try to hide that that's the way they came in. Because when police knocked on the door of apartment 1108, so that's when they discovered her neighbor, Tim Brown, who, like I said before, he wasn't on the lease. He was just staying there. And he and his friend, Corey Floraway, Floraway, Floraway. <laughs> okay. Floraway? Just, just, just say it. Anyway, he and his friend Floraway were staying in the apartment, and they claimed that the night of the murder that they had both been partying across the city. And their story kind of fell apart when the police asked them where they stayed that night, and their stories didn't match up. So they were both arrested in connection to the murder. In a written statement, Tim Brown admitted that they had lied about partying across the city. They claimed that three more friends came over while they were hanging out. Uh, Randy Coleman, Edward Turner, and a John Hondur Hondras? Honduras. Honduras. Well, basically what had happened, according to, according to Brown, while they were hanging out, Coleman told him about the pipe chase thing, where you could enter and exit apartments via the walls through the medicine cabinet. Eventually, well, according to Brown, Coleman and Floorway left, and Tur that's when Turner and Honduras decided to stay behind and break into the next door neighbor's apartment. Now, Brown claims that he heard this while hiding out and staying in 1108, which honestly doesn't really make sense in the story, but whatever. He claims that he stayed behind while his friends broke into the neighbor's apartment. He said that he heard her screaming, who's there? And then he heard gunshots, and eventually he watched Turner come out holding the TV and Honduras coming out holding a rocking chair. He claims that his friends came over and broke into the neighbors while he was just staying in his apartment. Like, I'm not going in there. Okay. He said that after they had came out of the mirror carrying the stuff that they went back for the casings later that day. Uh, eventually Turner was arrested in the row in his Rose apartment. Rose as in the little buildings. They found him in the Rose the next day. And Honduras, oh, they actually... Rose. Sorry, R-O-W-S. Yes, the two-story... <laughs> the, 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 the non-high-rise oh, yeah. buildings yeah. that are part yeah. of this complex. Uh, and it actually took them a month to find Honduras on the ninth floor in the same building. So even though he was in the same building and they were looking for him, it took them over a month to find him. They both remained in custody for... Almost three years, the trial started in 1990. And when the trial finally started going, it took year two years to complete. That's a while, I guess. Yeah, because the police didn't act in time, there was a lot of, obviously there was a lot of evidence tampering. The, the killers had enough time to go in and clean up the crime scene and mess with stuff. No fingerprints were found. They only found one of the shell casings of the four shots fired. Hmm. This... <laughs> Eventually, they were found <sighs> not guilty. Can you guess why? It was a fucking long time to to get away from the evidence, dude. Yeah, they were they were yeah. let go for lack what of the evidence. Heck? Oh my gosh! Was this long before like DNA testing? It was. 
87? Uh, I think so. Yeah, because yeah, DNA so. testing was pretty new, like even in the late nineties. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine how anything got done without DNA testing. Dude. I know, right? How the fuck did you get anything done? It'd be so hard. Yeah, know, right? like, oh yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> Prove uh, it. That's terrible, though. Yeah, because they have like witnesses, but you know, I mean, that was also the problem. There were so many p- witnesses that had different versions of that story. And there was no hard evidence to prove that they were even the people that did it other than somebody else's word of mouth. Yeah. That's how old school crimes were. They didn't start doing like, what's that called? Non tampering of evidence until like pretty recent. Well, yeah, it's because of the DNA stuff. Yeah. I mean, mean, we're allowed to just walk over the crime scene. There's no evidence to suggest that Brown didn't commit the murder and just blame those two after selling them the stolen goods. There's no any evidence at all, really. Yeah. You can't right. build a case on just the witness statements alone because eyewitness statements can be floppy. Well, from, and, um, you know, reliable. from what I heard in another article, they claim to have bought that stuff from somebody that stole it. So because they were found with the TV and found with the rocking chair... And the other guy claims it was them that stole it. For all we know, they made up the part about them even coming over. So how would anyone know at that point? Yeah. I, just found the, I just found the article that you were talking about. I really should have read this. <laughs> well, I was supposed to read it and present it to you. And my notes <laughs> were, I didn't. I just, okay. My notes are just terrible. Save that because I wanted to list the sources. And the only one I have saved is the first article I sent you. It's worth noting that the only person at the trial was her brother for, that represented Ruthie, and she he talked her, about her character. Her daughter didn't go? No, uh, I, I don't remember the reason why. I think it was also because it was damn near four years later, and it wow. got no media coverage. There's nobody really talking about it, so I, I have no idea why her daughter didn't go. But mm-hmm. I have a quote from her brother. So after the two kids were found not guilty, her brother said, justice does not proceed as it should. Had that been a white woman with two black guys being charged, they would have gone into that apartment. If that were a white woman who called like my sister did, you know they would have gone in. The whole system is corrupt. Yeah. Uh Yeah. uh, I mean, I'm telling on myself here. I, for some reason, have all of my quotes written down on my last page of my notes. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea. Okay, so the reporter that wrote the article that I keep referencing, his name's like Boygus? Who are you talking about? The article. The article that I've been reading from this whole time. How do you pronounce that? Ojira? Ojira. Ojira. When the reporter asked Captain Raymond Risley of the police about the police response time, he claimed that they thought it was a hoax. And he That's said... It's, unaccept- it's an unacceptable answer. Sorry. <laughs> Here's the thing. When pressed, he said he believes that most calls from the projects are hoaxes. When asked for statistics or any studies done on it, he was quoted as saying, we didn't need any studies they know that they're hoaxes based on the experience of the officers who regularly walk those beats. He said we could he we could drag it out with fancy studies, but that would be too expensive. 
So, okay, well, here's me thinking that you took an oath <laughs> to serve and protect and not fucking judge and decide whether or not something's a hoax. Yeah. I know, right? It's worth noting that the case got almost no media coverage. Other, The reason why I, I'm constantly referencing the same article, two articles by this author, is because there's almost no other news outlets that reported on the story. There's like no... I. If I could, I would have found the recording of the 911 call, but there's nothing. That's a pity. The article writer did say, too, like, um, violence in the projects rarely, it, get, it rarely gets attention in the media. The media tends to neglect it. Yeah. Uh, there was a section in the same article where he talks about the death of Nancy Clay. Nancy Clay was a white suburbanite, working collar type woman who was killed in a loop high rise in may of the same year uh there were some indications that 911 had failed her which prompted weeks of media coverage uh city council meetings they actually had testimony of the fire commissioner like they had live bra radio broadcasts and eventually it led to uh proposals for some i don't know what that word is in my notes ordinances yes that's the word ordinances Oh, yeah, that's the kind of attention. No offense, but that is the kind of attention that, Jeez. you know, gets the media. It tends to be what, like with Gabby Petito. It was terrible for Gabby Petito's family. You know, they, they lost a daughter and a loved one. But, like, that's the kind of media attention that happens when it's, unfortunate when it's a, a young, pretty white woman who goes missing. Like, can you imagine the people of color who go missing every hour of the day and yeah. you never yeah. hear about it? It's really sad. The media picks and chooses what it wants to, what it wants to focus on. The story is incredibly depressing, but yeah, like, like I was saying, people are being neglected by the police, by the media, and it's like their suffering is like it's it's being invalidated. That's and why, that's supposed to be okay. It's not. It's absolutely not okay. No, it's not. I mean, like I was saying in the beginning of the episode, <laughs> it's not unexpected. If you, it's not, and that's if, really sad. It's really sad. I don't know. It's that weird thing of I remember in school trying to explain to somebody like I don't trust the police. They're like, why not? They tried to give me oh my crap. God, like, does he know what year it is? Sorry, it, dude. <laughs> this was a long Fuck. time ago. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm not in school. I'm old. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't hear you say that you were. This is when you were in school. No, I just. I just meant that like I didn't know how to explain to kids not from my neighborhood. Yeah. what it was like to grow up in my yeah. neighborhood like i don't you know what i mean like because i went to school across town from my neighborhood yeah. and i grew up around kids from the outside you just the grew up outside. With a, different, a different you know perspective of what the police do and don't do for you, you know? yeah that's they're they're not yeah they're not there to help us yeah I don't know. This whole story is like fascinating to me for an entirely perverse reason of I'm hearing other people tell this story shocked and appalled at what's happening, at the injustice of it all. And to, from my perspective, that has always been the norm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's only been in recent years that it's getting really, I mean, it's always gotten attention, but like things tend to just like like the wave passes, you know? And yeah. it's easier with uh, social media and internet oh, yeah. and all that. Yeah, cancel culture, but. 
Yeah. Thank you. People can, you know, report on their own experiences and they don't have to wait for the media to do it for them. Yeah. Right. But also I mean, social media is cancer in its own. And everyone has a camera nowadays, so that helps. Camera. Yeah. Finally. Okay, so why don't we talk about the movie? We pretty much wrapped up this effed up story. We did? Apparently, Vernita opened up a suit against uh, ABLA Holmes. I don't know if she was successful in that suit, though. Oh, yeah. The suit was specifically saying that the pipe chases are design flaw, which... It's a huge design flaw. How terrifying. Well, <laughs> I know, right? It is a design flaw, but as he pointed out, that one TikToker did it recently as of 2020. Yeah. And it was a super cool thing. And I was just like, oh, no, girl. Gotta get out of there. And then, she, cool. and, then she, and then she went through it. And I was like, you don't know what's on the other side of that, dude. Wasn't there like of... a water bottle, meaning somebody was in there recently? Maybe. I don't I don't really remember what she thought. I just know that she like went in there. And she was like, ooh, things. And I was like, dude, you got to get out. If you found a space, the chances of someone being in that space are very likely to get out. Now. White people. Oh. <laughs> I know because I, I could see somebody else thinking that that's really cool, but I'm like, that's just another way to break into your house, dude. Yeah, no, it's something they, like that. It's quite terrifying. And they address they address this very thing in Candyman. The Candyman we watched was uh, an unrated director's cut that had more violence. Ooh, unrated. You could see the quality drop. When the unrated scenes would pop up, yeah, gotta watch that. Yeah, yeah. it's just more violent. That's more gore, really. more blood. Okay, so the thing that's fascinating to me is looking at retrospectives of the movie Candyman. I obviously, poor kid, I love this movie. Like Barry the lead, I give this movie a very high rating because this is a great movie, dude. Yeah. It's a great movie. But what I was saying is the fascinating reading about the story because again, it is a story about a black community as told from the perspective of a meddling white person. Who is I mean, let's just get into it. Uh who's making terrible decisions? <laughs> Yep. Terrible decisions. Terrible decisions. Okay. Like Like she doesn't know basic stuff. I was just I was mostly frustrated with like when she decides to go to Cabrini Green with Bernadette and Bernadette goes there with all these weapons and she's like, what's with the arsenal? And Bernadette's just like, she doesn't say this, but she may as well have said this. She was like, Bitch, do you know where you're going right now? Yeah. You're going to a crime yeah, pretty much gang 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 run area. She, she's being super naive and blasé about it like she's not about to get her ass whooped which she does later well okay let's try to go in order for a bit because okay. i <laughs> want to talk about the, all right i don't want to go beat for beat but okay. i kind of want to go scene for scene if we could oh, yeah. Yeah, because of course the movie starts great. with a really cool like lego shot i call it a lego shot because it looked like toys <laughs> to me they do look like legos i it took me a second to realize it wasn't a an effect it was actually just a straight up look down at a real footage you know what i mean it kind of did feel like a diorama did they get that shot by like like a helicopter like with oj's has to be right yeah because i was like this is way before like drone footage and shit like that it was pretty much like how drone footage is shot i believe Mm -hmm. it was a helicopter pointed straight down whereas normally with a helicopter shot it's at an angle yeah it looks like like a skyline but the way this is shot it looks like it looked fake. That's it, like eerie. 
anyway, there's a little monologue with Tony Todd, and then there's like a weird cloud of bees. Which cloud of bees. <laughs> oh, and I want to mention those bees are around 12 hours old, the baby ones. We could get to Wait. that later. Oh, okay. But there's different age groups of bees, and I like that. Oh, yeah. Amber started researching the movie a lot, and she was fascinated about the fact that they used baby bees for the scenes with uh, Helen, of Virginia Madison's character. When she ever, Whenever she had bees on her, they used baby ones because they can't sting you. And they're less than 12 hours old. They're they, babies. They bred them for the movie. Yeah. What is the life expectancy for a bee, Amber? Sorry, I was curious. (laughs) Like a honeybee or what kind of bee are we talking about? It's the stereotypical ones that are black and yellow. There's a lot of those kinds. Most bees are black and yellow. Honeybees. Well, honeybees then, I guess. Uh, 30 to 60 days. Oh, okay. Uh, The the ones on Tony Todd were not 12 years old and he was stung like nine times in this movie. Didn't the... Didn't... So I was watching the dead, the dead meat kill count thing, and apparently he had an allergy, so they had to stand by with EpiPens. What the fuck? That was Virginia Madison. She had an allergy. Oh my god! Could you imagine? Like, I know, right? Stand by with these terrifying EpiPens. And, like you and, might like, die. Hazmat suits and mm. like a screen to protect the crew, but not the actors. So right after the little monologue and zipliney flyby scene, uh. We cut to somebody telling the story of Candyman. It's like a babysitter who invites a bad boy, cool guy over to cheat on her boyfriend with. Oh, oh yeah, Urban Legends. I love Urban Legends. I love how Urban Legends always have like, like you know you're in an Urban Legend. Everything feels so stereotypical. The, the guy that she's cheating on her boyfriend with is wearing a black leather jacket like some 50s douchebag. And he rolls up on a motorcycle. Yeah, I dude. know, right? No, my I was favorite. Like, oh, man. My favorite thing about it is it's freaking Ted Raimi. I don't know. Yeah. You don't know who Ted Raimi is? No. I don't know who Sam Raimi is. Sam Raimi's younger brother. He's What did he do? He was Joxer on a Xena Warrior Princess. Mm-hmm. He was Henrietta and Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Was... Um wasn't he in that one movie where he had condoms? Blood Rage? That's the one. That's the one yeah. you know him from, is Blood Rage? Yeah, where he had condoms in his pockets. He's like, choose. He had a familiar face. I just didn't think anything of it. He's Sam Raimi's younger brother. He's in all of Sam Raimi's movies, including The Evil mm. Dead. He was the basement monster in Evil Dead. Oh. Huh. The one that's like, there's someone in my fruit cellar. I've never seen <laughs> Nice voice. You've never seen Evil Dead? What? I know. I was hesitant to say no. that. I've never seen Evil Dead. Oh, there's another, the sequel. there's another character in, wait you've seen the sequel to evil dead i actually know it might have been the third one the one where he has a boomstick it's really oh, funny okay he's in that movie too army he, plays like, he plays like six characters in army of darkness oh well i didn't remember him oh well, i remember bruce campbell's fine ass in that movie so <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> anyway, it's just funny to me that the fantasy bad boy, like, hunk is Ted Raimi. And if you're a fan of Ted Raimi, that kind of took me out of the movie. But 
it's, but at least you're not in the movie because this is obviously yeah, the legend retelling. It's the urban legend retelling. It's it's cheesy. She's the babysitter. It's like so stereotypical. Yeah, fucking babysitter. That babysitter. <laughs> Yeah, and it it it's always the babysitter like, fucked up and never legends. Yeah, or the kids. Well, yeah, the, oh, kids. Well, the baby, the baby does die in the urban legend. The baby dies in the urban legend, which I don't know if that's actually true because it's supposed to be an urban legend, and the, obviously they're embellished. Mm-hmm. I the movie started the making the... me wonder oh, if some of the kills were actually Candyman. Yeah, or if it was just who else would it have been, Helen? No, well, I'll get into that in a bit, but all right, so. <laughs> When they introduce the character Helen, you find out that she's writing a dissertation on urban legends, local urban legends specifically, interviewing different students. And that's where I got to my favorite note I wrote down. Her friend (laughs) who is interviewing the kid who tells the story about the babysitter who put the baby in the oven is the most 90s dude I've seen in a movie in a long time. Oh, most 90s. I have almost. Not about this character, but I have almost like the most like verbatim the exact same note about another character later in the movie. Really? <laughs> this yeah. kid had a button-up jean shirt under a sweater with slick black blonde hair Dude. and uh, double earrings. Wait. We can't wait to talk about it. And he oh has like I correct me if I'm wrong, because I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to him. Didn't he have like that weird hair where it's like there's a split the parts in the middle and then or the are kind of like oh god and then, then the like winged out yes. and i'm pretty sure one of the brothers from like uh home improvement no bo- oh that too uh, boy meets world like boys meets world yeah, yeah I, was... Eric Matthews I could just start haircut. listing and 90s like, oh, shows god. and one of them had that hair yeah it was big hair yeah the blonde <laughs> hair with dark yeah. underneath like the tips like frosted tips hey people liked them in the 2000s and Thank, thank the heavens! It never made a comeback. But other, well, other yeah. cuts are, are making it now. Yeah, they are. They're, they're totally making a comeback with annoying young people. No, no. Yeah, I'm saying terrible haircuts are a big thing now, and it's pretty sad to see. Yeah. Anyway, anyway so that yeah, they reveal that Helen and her friend Bernadette are writing a dissertation on urban legends, and that's when they introduce her husband Trevor, who is clearly. Is he cheating on her? He's one hundred percent cheating on her. Oh my god! Um, do you do you mean in the beginning? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah, he's very, okay. He's being really blasé about like oh. First of all, okay, when the husband first shows up, my first note was, "Wow, what a bad husband." Okay, but that was my first note. <laughs> arguably, I couldn't. All right, because I've seen this movie dozens of times. On this watching, I'm paying attention, taking notes. Did he hook up with her after Helen was committed, or, or was he already cheating on her? No, he was already cheating on her. You think? Yeah, uh, obviously. Yeah, because remember when she, oh, we're, we're jumping far ahead. Oh, but, uh, right, because he wasn't at home several times. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, there was the one time when she, like, right, it was right after she was attacked. Um, She's, she, like, making dinner and stuff, and she was, like, and he was being super weird at dinner. And uh, I was like, oh, this motherfucker's been somewhere. I see. But also, like, just flirtatious, like. Yeah. Like in the in the like when she first um sees her name is Stacy is the girlfriend yeah um and Stacy gives her this look where she's just like bitch I was like okay. dude was she and... supposed to be a bad actor or was she <laughs> just a bad actor because she totally was eyeballing giving like weird looks like 
I know that. I was think that was intentional. Or yeah. would you not believe them? Well, I don't the know. Like, huh? <laughs> she she 100% was like giving this thing guy to the wife. Yeah. 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 I thought you were talking about another scene. Like, I don't know. Oh, no, no. I, I, I was we'll just saying. <laughs> Did we mention about the kill scene and them like mentioning the name? Huh? I, I don't. Oh, remember. off the urban legend? Oh, yeah. The urban legend where they said yeah. Candyman. Yeah. So they're about to hook up and she's like, as they were. Candyman five times. Yeah. So, so she tells him to wait downstairs. And then she says it for the fifth and final time. And that's where she gets Candyman. Yeah. And then, um, and then like, the girl, there's like a voiceover of the girl later. She's like, she dies. And then the baby got killed. And then the the cheating guy, the guy, the cheat-y, I guess, yeah, um, would... sees the bodies. And it turns hair white. And I was like, that's such an urban legend thing, dude. <laughs> okay. So I wrote that down. Because someone else says that later on in the movie, and I wasn't sure if the line repeated or if I wrote the quote wrong in a different spot. Oh, it got repeated. Are you, are you telling me that when the boy yeah. in the bathroom, which is horrifying, by the way. Oh, my God. Ugh. I did not remember that scene when I was little when I watched this the first time. That scene made me afraid like, of bathrooms shit, when I was little. dude. Anyway, anyway. okay. <laughs> so right after that, they introduce the husband. He's clearly cheating on her. And it was a weird thing of like, oh, I'm not... I wouldn't mess around with one of my students, but he's married to a student. Yeah, he's married. I to know, him. right? I, mean, granted she's, I don't know if they made it clear. Was she one of his previous students, or did she just happen to be a grad student? That wasn't clear at all. I just yeah. assumed that she was a student, and he happened to be a teacher. But now that you mention it, is he one of her teachers? He might have been. Maybe. She looked younger than him, but they yeah. never make it. They never make it explicitly clear. But I was like. She's a student technically, but she's a grad student, which means she can be much older. Yeah. And then maybe, but they don't make that clear. Either way, he's fucking cheating. So, okay. At this point, I want to point out in the book, because I read the book, obviously. Mm -hmm. I don't like the book as much as the movie. It's not as concise. Mm -hmm. Was it like all over the place? Well, no. Helen's dissertation in the book is on graffiti. Oh. So... Her being there and discovering all the Candyman stuff has nothing to do with why she's there. Whereas in the movie, they made it so that it has to do with stories and urban legends. So she's there asking people questions. In the book, she's there taking pictures of graffiti and people just start telling her shit. Oh, that's not what I thought was going to happen at all. I thought she would have seen like an image of like Candyman and she would have gotten curious about it. She oh. does see the image of Candyman, but she doesn't mention it. She hears about another murder, and then uh, she's trying to figure out if it really happened because her husband tells her he doesn't believe that it's a true story. That's it. That's all that's she going was, on in the book. She was going to write her whole dissertation on graffiti? Yeah, that was all she was writing about in the in the book, in the mm -hmm. short story. I feel like it's not a very meaty well, I mean, I don't want to be judgmental. I feel like you get a lot more meat out of like urban legends and folklore than you would about graffiti. Um, well, I'm not a graffiti the, artist. The book... The, the short story goes into folklore, but that's not why she's there. She just yeah, happens to be the story. Yeah. Right. So the movie already is better than the short story to me at that point, because there's no actual point. Plus, there's no mention of Candyman whatsoever in the short story till toward the end when she sees him. Oh. So all most of his dialogue <laughs> is the same about how you doubted my story, but in the short story... 
she never heard his story so what is he talking about right anyway tangent because i i didn't really care for the short story but i love the movie um so after that that's when she is taking notes in her little like desk i don't know what the hell am i yeah, talking what, about what was what was that room she it was, was in like, a classroom, but it wasn't her classroom. She was in like a high school classroom in the it college. Almost, it almost <laughs> didn't it look like it? Kind of. Well, some yeah. some of those rooms do look. They can look similar to high school classrooms, also. But I did see lockers. Yeah. Hmm. Do they have lockers in real colleges? My college was in a real college. No, the like, col- col- no, because you just have your dorm room. You just drop your shit off at it. Who who knows? I Maybe know, she know. teaches high school class on the side. You know. Well, anyway, uh, janitor hears her listening to recording about Candyman, and that's when she steps in and says, oh, you're doing the blah, blah, blah on Candyman. Uh, my friend knows about that. I wrote down that her the janitor's name is Henrietta. Yeah. And I don't know if that was a reference to the fact that Ted Raimi is in the movie, and he famously played Henrietta in Evil Dead 2. I don't know if that was a reference or a coincidence, but that character's not in the short story. I'm a nerd. Uh, anyway (laughs) okay anyway so that's when they call in her her friend and that scene kind of confused me because she goes my friend knows all about Candyman." she goes oh i'd like to talk to your friend hold on a minute she shouts into the hall and i I thought it was gonna cut to like the next day she tells her friend to talk to her but she just leans into the hall and yells and it's another custodian or janitor yeah Fun fact, there is a difference between a janitor and custodian. My dad was a custodian and so a janitor. Mine. But is the, are custodians more... Is there, what is the difference, though? Uh, a janitor is like a temp. They are sent to different locations, and oh. they are seasonal. A custodian is hired by the facility that they frequent. So, for example, our dads were both custodians for the school okay. district, and they were assigned to specific schools or zones and then during the summer during the off seasons they'd become janitors where they're sent to different facilities to clean up for the day oh, okay yeah my dad always took to stay at one school at a time yeah so he, he yeah. was a custodian and then during the summer he didn't work as a janitor my dad did though hmm. i believe your dad that's when he would do like the paper route stuff he would and then during the summers he would uh work at the Alameda county fair too yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway side note just fun fact um <laughs> Lady comes in and tells the story of Candyman or the Candyman murder, and she specifically mentions Ruthie Jean, and that's the story of Ruthie Mae McCoy. Do uh, I thought you might have some insight? Did the family know that they were going to use her story? I don't think so. That seems really mean. I I, I have, and I thought it was also kind of ballsy of them to use her real name. Like I feel like any they called her Ruthie Jean. Yeah, but Ruthie, come on. <laughs> it's so close and the and the story's exactly the same like i would have thought like they would have at least changed the name because any other movie would have changed the name they used her first name and last name in the movie at least they didn't advertise that candy man was based on a true story oh but i can't imagine can you imagine being Vanita going to the movies and seeing that you're like what the fuck i feel like they talked to her about it to be honest i would, I would hope, hope so. that they did i i can would you love imagine to look- the family going yeah, they did, I I didn't really find anything about that, but yeah. I, don't, I guess I didn't look too too hard. I I didn't even think to look up whether they knew about it because that's kind of fucked up. If you consider the fact that uh, using the name Ruthie Jean instead of Ruthie Mae is 
aside, they named the main one of the main characters McCoy. Anne Marie McCoy is named her. her oh name, shit! Yeah, hmm. the, I, I wasn't even listening to what she said. I was saying the neighbor who called the police. Obviously, Anne Marie McCoy, the character, is based off of Deborah, who arranged the welfare check that found her body. And now we have a new Candyman movie about Anthony McCoy. And so they, the name McCoy is well-known and associated with Candyman. Yeah. Right. I mean, they had to keep Ozawa's name if he's a character. I know, but I'm just saying, if they didn't no, get permission from the family, yeah. that is kind of sad. I feel like yeah. they definitely would have said yeah. something. I would, I would hope that they did talk to the family, because that, that would be absolutely insane Especially, if you found that out later what we were talking about before and how much this movie means to African-American and black culture in general, that would be really upsetting if they didn't even bother to check with the family yeah. or at least inform the family. So that's, that's the part that is based on the true story is the story of Ruthie. And uh, it's worth, <laughs> obviously that's not in the book. It was a totally different murder in the book that someone describes to her. <laughs> Yeah, I I remember correctly. They decided to use that story after the author of the screenplay read the same article that we were referencing in the true story half. Yeah. Um, does the short story that you said Clive Barker read it? Yeah, written by Clive um, Barker. Yeah. Did uh did it make any like what am I trying to say? Did it make any mention of like like projects like living oh, projects stuff yeah, like that or was the... it just about the grad student? Uh, the original story by Clive Barker, obviously he's British. It took place yeah. in the UK and oh. it was more about the slums there. See, oh, okay. uh, one of the speakers on the Blu-ray, like I forgot who it was. It was the lady who, I forgot her name. She's the author of uh, Horror Noir and like African-American black culture in horror films. And they were talking about racism in movies and specifically in Candyman. And he had pointed out that race in the U S is the equivalent of the class system in the UK for any Americans that are unfamiliar with how the UK is. So the story taking place in the slums and it becomes rich people versus the lower class in the UK definitely translates almost exactly to the racism in America at the time. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I was I wasn't aware of that yeah. at all, really. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. After she gets the story of Candyman, she actually researches it and she finds news articles on the actual thing. She discusses it with her husband, who I don't remember what he says. He's a douche. He's a douche. <laughs> I know, right? Even outside of the cheating, he does like. He treats her in a way that's not very supportive. Yeah, I very much like. so. Like well, anyway. I, I don't want to reference the book too much, but mm -hmm. in the book, he's described as compulsive competitive, who he just loves to argue, doesn't even matter about what. And they kind of made him nicer in the movie. They made him nicer, but you can still tell he's a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. I remember where we were. After she hears about the true, uh, after she hears about the story of Candyman from the janitor, uh, her and Bernadette decide to take on the project as uh, part of their main focus of their thesis paper they're writing. 
And that's when her and Bernadette do the Candyman ritual of saying his name five times in the mirror. Mm-hmm. She also finds out that the same thing, like her, the same thing with like the the mirror is happening at her place too, like the exact same setup. Oh yeah, the in that same scene, she explains the whole high rises and how her place was developed to also be the projects, but then they decided not to when they figured out that they couldn't wall in the ghetto, which is all kinds of messed up if you think about it, but it happens. Right. And she does the same thing of like going through her mirror to point out how it works. Uh, Afterward, that gets into the scene where they go to Cabrini Green to investigate. Bad, bad decisions. Yeah, that's the scene you were talking about earlier with Bernadette having an arsenal in her purse. And I was like, dude, I I understand being like really ambitious, but like you are you, this is your your no no dissertation is worth your safety. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, of course. And she points out like would Trevor and Guy who we never show in the movie wouldn't they chicken out if they were mm-hmm. in the situation? Oh, was, okay, I was gonna ask, but I'll talk about it later. What the other guy? <laughs> the other guy in the movie was he like that long-haired urban legend elitist that they were having dinner with later? That's not who she was talking about, no. Okay, because he was a character, dude. Oh yeah, my yeah. <laughs> god, uh, that guy. That's that's after. But let's talk okay. about more about her walking around Cabrini because oh, they filmed in the real Cabrini Green and. They had actual game members there, the active game members. I believe there were, were the, five. Were they the actors in the scene? The, the gang members in the scene are the real gang that lived there. Yes, the studio oh. had to make arrangements with them to get permission to film on their area. There was also uh, police snipers available and police on scene while they filmed their scenes there. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it was like the real deal. Yeah, it was really like high tension. High tension. Scary. Apparently, one of the production vans was shot several times. Like there's bullet holes all over it as they were leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Helen's naivety. Yes, Helen wanders around and she feels safe because they think that they're cops. That's what she tells Bernadette. Like, oh, we're fine. They think we're police. I know, right? That's not that's not much of a shield, dude. <laughs> Especially since she goes around telling people she's not a cop. I know, <laughs> right? Blow your own cover. So later in the scene, they encounter Anne Marie, who just kind of mean mugs them as they see graffiti that says "Sweets to the Sweet." She almost sticks her dog on her. Yeah, because they're <laughs> snooping around her front door. Taking pictures of her front door. That line, sweets to the sweets, comes up several times in the movie and in the book. I was just about to ask. I was like, so was that line in the book? <laughs> to be honest, I don't really understand the point of that quote. Neither do I. I'm trying to figure it out. All I know is it's a quote from Hamlet, but I'm not sure how it applies to this story. I have no idea. I have no idea what that line even means in either <laughs> medium for this story okay i mean it's probably just like a line that he like is like what like that they just attribute to the legend of the canon right now though it says sweets to the sweet or whatever but it appears several times uh after that they go into ruthie jean's apartment and uh 
Helen decides to climb in through the mirror into the adjacent apartment. Of and course. Crazy person, dude. Well, Bernadette I mean, says the same thing of like, what if there's somebody in there shooting up drugs? What the hell are you going to do? Give them your card? Yeah. Like, really? It's it, There's clearly a drug den in there. I know, right? Like, I don't know. It's just a lot of things that should be common sense that makes me go, why? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Even I feel like even to like the most like out of touch naive person would know that you're walking into a really dangerous situation. Her friend's sitting there smoking a cigarette, yeah. clutching pepper spray, and Helen's just like, "Oh, yeah. give me my camera." Fr- and like I don't, I don't, and like I'm sure it's not lost on anyone. Like Bernadette's black. Yes, she, yes, Bernadette's she is. black. Like she, she, she probably knows way more than Helen ever will about like how dangerous this area could be. Like I don't, they don't talk at all about Bernadette's background. Well, like as a does, black woman, I'm sure she has some idea. She does say that she won't even drive past that area and that a boy got shot there the week before. Yeah, because she understands the danger. I know, right? And, but, for, but for Helen, who's like, she's white, she's pretty, she's blonde. I mean, I don't know how rich she and her husband are, but their place looks pretty nice. Yeah. Like, she, she probably just, like, I think going into this, if she doesn't see danger, she, she sees a, a dissertation lead. Yeah, and and I feel like that's really dangerous and that's naive. It's stupid, really, really. <laughs> just not even naive. It's just no common sense there at all. Yeah, and like, and I, I know you don't want to jump around when she does get attacked. She's fucking really lucky that that's all that happened to her. Yeah, and like, I don't want to like undermine like her attack. Like, clearly, she must. It was very traumatic. But like, you could have. They could have killed you, and no one would have ever seen you ever again. I know, yeah. right? You should be expecting it, like, terrible. So, so the fact that she even went alone is hilarious to me. Yeah. Because the first time she went with Bernadette, that was also a bad decision. To go in alone? Yeah. That's unbelievable, dude. Okay. It's such a bad decision. Totally. After she talks to Anne, after she crawls out of the bathroom, that's when she finally meets Anne-Marie McCoy, who's single mother raising her son, Anthony. Um, oh my God. Sorry, I was gonna say. Um, in my notes, I was like, "That's the loudest little baby ever." Because like, oh I guess, God. like, I guess, like, because he, you can hear his like, like coos and stuff clearly through the microphone, and I was like, "Oh, they didn't get rid of this post." I feel <laughs> like they added it. I thought they added it too. God, that was really aggressive. I was just like, babies. Are, Make like, sure you off. know they have a baby. And they were just like. Because he was making all these noise, like, and I was like, dude, get that kid, like, a, a <laughs> bottle or something. Anyway. Fun fact, also, the baby but, was played by a girl baby. Not oh, cute. Anyway. That baby also looked really young. Like, yeah. like, too, like freshly born. Fr- like, I think fresh like, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because, like, I feel like nowadays when, like, like new, when they show newborn babies like when they show birthing season and stuff like it's clearly a baby who's like five or six months old but yeah. like this baby looked really new and i was like oh it's not too young but the 90s yeah 90s um, yeah, yeah. Didn't care. i feel like yeah they, really give a they shit. filmed in a real yeah <laughs> like they filmed in a real hood with real gang yeah. members yeah, i don't yeah, think it mattered real yeah, project building like, a cute baby anyway moving on <laughs> Um, okay, so right after that, that's when they get to the dinner scene with all of the douchey people. Dude, I'm douchey. Yep. Oh, 
I thought that the, I thought that the actor was um Stephen Fry. Yeah, I did. I never thought it was Stephen Fry too. No, well, but I was wait, just was saying it? he looked similar. He looks exactly like Stephen Fry. I, oh my I was gonna say because oh, I didn't I didn't look at the credits, but I was like, was that Stephen Fry? It wasn't. No, no, he just it wasn't. looks like him mixed with Benjamin Franklin. At first glance, I was like, oh, is that is that um Penn Jillette? But I was like, no, of course not. Oh my gosh, Penn and Teller. I always forget what Penn looks like without a beard. But and then and then I thought it was Stephen Fry, and then I was like, that's not Stephen Fry. And then he started talking, and I was like, oh, it's a douchebag. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Dude, that, guy... that character's Dude, name was that... Purcell. Okay, so it wasn't the Trevor. When they were talking in the car, when they were just like, you think Trevor and blah 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 would have done Trevor this? and I think Arthur. Trevor. Sure. And... I don't know. All I know is they never the other academic that was with him. Yeah. Wait. Was there another academic at the dinner? I so I couldn't remember, but there I was, it was just at the, the two funeral. Of them, the of that was the lawyer. Oh shit! Okay, well then no. I, don't I just know. I, I made a note sure. of that because they they name drop that character, and, and, then, and then nothing comes. They don't it. show him in the movie. In fact, Maybe I thought in a deleted scene. No, uh, he's in the book. He's at the same dinner with Purcell, but in the movie, it's just Trevor and Purcell and. Helen and I think and Bernadette, Bernadette at the dinner. Yeah, Bernadette's there. And they are also Bernadette and Helen are smoking the chimneys at this fucking dinner, dude. And that's when Bernadette and Helen are like, we're gonna bury you with our story on Candyman. And he very smugly goes, I mean, the guy I wrote an article about 10 years ago. And then he like, has this really long laugh, and I was like, wow, dude. Well, he laughs because I laughed at the same time because he was like, do you even know the story of Candyman? Oh. And she's like, no. Dude, I wrote that note down. I was like, are you serious, Helen? I think, what did I write? Oh, I wrote Helen, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, how are you? You were writing this dissertation on Candyman. And you don't know? That should have been the first thing you did, was look up the legend. Yeah. I wonder if he laughed. Yeah. And he was a dick about it, but like he was right. Was like, she, she deserved <laughs> it. He not yeah. only Not only did he... No, the no story. He, was, he was being like a condescending elitist prick, but he was right. I think she deserved it for going to the hood like that. By the way, just on oh. a little off topic, I feel like they did a pretty good job trying to explain a real story that actually happened like throughout the beginning of this movie. The story of Ruthie Jean? Yeah. Yeah, that's literally how it happened. It was pretty faithful to what happened to her, yeah. Yeah, well, and... Well, only change, um, I think, was the hook. Well, yeah, they added extra details, but yeah. I mean, like in the beginning, where she's talking to the janitor, and then when they went inside the mirror, they kind of stayed faithful to that, and I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, because that's not in the short story either. The whole mirror gag. Yeah. In fact, saying Candyman's name in the mirror doesn't really come up in the short story. the The whole Bloody uh. Mary thing. Does his origin story show up in the short story? Does anything about him show up in the short story? Another fun fact was the fact that Tony Todd worked with the writer on the movie and developed the origin story for Candyman himself. Nice. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, the short story is weird. I'm not even sure he's supernatural in the short story, or he is just some homeless guy that the people in the tenant worship. I don't know. I mean, they did. They did kind of like. Like, because that was kind of like a midway twist almost. I mean, I know we're jumping ahead. The scene where 
Purcell tells the true story of Candyman. I thought that Candyman's story was told very well in this scene because the entire scene is done with sound effects and uh, Helen's reaction. I know that I refer back to this a lot, the dead meat kill count thing. Yeah. Um, showed interviews of Virginia Madsen saying that during those scenes, like uh, she, um, Clive Barker had her cut, um, undergo hypnosis. Not Clive he, Barker. Uh, oh, it was someone else? The director. Was Clive Barker the writer? Yeah. Uh, no, he wrote the short story that the movie was based on. It Did he not write the screenplay at all? No, it was Bernard Rose, the director. Oh, shit. I, thought, I don't know why I thought Clive Barker wrote it. The short story. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, like she was under hypnosis for all that, and like I guess he had like a trigger word that he could just say to Virginia Madsen, and then she would just go under. And I was like, wow, that's terrifying yeah. power to have over another human being. I know, right? That's really creepy. Hypnosis. Yeah. But that whole thing. real. What her hypnosis? Yeah. Why? I wonder if I could. Was like, I wonder. I don't know. No. Not that I would do it to someone else, but I was like, would it work on me? Oh, I don't know. For some people, it's like a meditative thing, so it's possible. Interesting. Okay, uh, moving on. Do you want to... <laughs> if you want to do hypnosis, we could do uh, Serpent and the Rainbow next time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so creepy to me. Anyway, um, he tells the story of Candyman, which, like I mentioned, Tony Todd helped develop about how he was a painter in the 1800s who impregnated a white woman and his father sent a lynch mob to cut his hand off and smear him with honey and then they burned him on a pyre on which pyre? On the, a pyre it's a pile intended for burning oh. anyway it was a good way to introduce the concept of the bonfire into the story again this is based on a british story and that's important because they don't have Bonfire Day in the U.S. Bonfire yeah. Day is a holiday in the U.K., though. That's really interesting. I guess that explains why there was a huge bonfire at the project. Yeah, it, it plays into the end of the story, even the short story. In the movie, they had to find a way to explain it. Yeah, so they it, just it, have that one-off line from the kid who was like, oh, it's for the bonfire party. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is a thing, too? <laughs> is that a thing? No, it's not a thing. The it's because of Guy Fox Day in the UK. Okay. Uh, I don't want to explain Guy Fox Day because I have no actual idea. Uh, it's, it's a it's a big holiday over there. There's a lot of fireworks. Yeah, fireworks, yeah. and then they do a big bonfire. But or whatever they not a fucking gigantic bonfire. But that's why they included that in the movie to tie into the fact that there's going to be a bonfire oh. by the end. Yeah, they were having a big old bonfire, but I guess it had to be enormous. It didn't really have to be that big. But it was huge, right? Though at the end, it was huge. That was huge. They oh, said man. that they actually had the city gonna... donate garbage for that scene. <laughs> and then who was going to put that fire out? Because Lord knows the fire department's not going to come running. If oh it's anything gosh. like Bonfire Day, from what I've seen in like videos of the UK, they do it in an area where it could just burn itself out. And then oh, they just, okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, uh, huh. I don't know about if they did that for the movie, but. <laughs> Okay, so finally, after telling the story in a very cool way again, uh, damn it, Mel watched the new one. Oh my gosh. Because the storytelling in that is freaking brilliant. And I was oh, almost oh, going to talk about it, but you haven't seen it. Okay. 
I don't know. I should have watched that last night. I got too tired. Anyway, that's when Helen goes back to Gabrini by herself. And she meets Jake, who I think is awesome in the movie. I think he's my favorite character in the movie. Yeah. Fun fact, the kid was nicknamed One Take Jake because apparently he was so good that they never really needed more than one take with him. Uh, okay. That's when he has that conversation with her about getting scared and how she's a crazy white lady for, for walking around in there alone. Clearly. Yeah. Um. So she starts asking him about Candyman and he's just like, I'm not a scared of nothing, but you're crazy if you want to walk around here. So she tells him, you don't have to, it'll just be our secret if you tell me about Candyman. And then you, you don't even have to say anything. You just show me. And that's when he tells her about the bathroom scene. God damn. That scene is horrifying. I guess when I was younger, I didn't understand what had happened to him. And I was like, oh, he was castrated. Yeah. And, and it was thrown in the toilet. Yeah. Dude, that bathroom is horrifying yes it says sweets you, to the sweets and you, shit all you over could the walls not, i would not accept any form of payment no matter how high to take five steps into that bathroom fun fact those were made of cookies and biscuits wonderful disgusting biscuits yay yay oh, biscuits yeah you think they ate it i would eat it i would have eaten it for I feel, like effects, my, dude. I feel like my mind would eventually like it would it would play tricks on me and make me feel like it actually smells in there and like doesn't like, you know what I mean? If it looks disgusting enough. I like, guess they did a good job then. I feel like so, I would be like oh. let's see she finds a toilet bowl filled with bumbly bees and uh, sweet oh, yeah, sweets written in crap. You okay, Mel? Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Um, During that scene a drug a group walks up and Jake looks freaked out and it says Candyman. And that's when Helen is attacked by a group, one of them holding a hook who's like The main candyman dude. The main candyman dude yeah. who says, We're here you're looking for the candyman, bitch. Your favorite part. That's my favorite part. That, that part makes me laugh <laughs> every single time I watch it. Why does it make you laugh? Not that part, the part immediately after where they showed the lineup of different guys saying the same line. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Because he, he knocks her upside the head with the side of the hook, and that scene looks really brutal. Yeah, it's pretty violently attacked. Yeah, and then they just leave her, which... It was you, weird. I'm sorry, bud. As you pointed out, she's lucky that they didn't do more. Yeah, and I was... It's weird to me that they didn't more not because that's i'm not saying that it's, that's what they would like obviously do because not all criminals are violent but like why would they leave a living witness a, a, a living white witness <laughs> why would they do that because you just you just told her yourself not man. even that right the next scene is them at the ho at the police station they have the lineup as i mentioned that scene makes me laugh but <laughs> they arrest the guy based on the fact that she identified him to the police yeah and the cop was like oh man we've been after this guy for a long time we just didn't have anybody to testify and then she says did he kill those other people and he said without a doubt he is a known killer as you pointed out why didn't they just kill her 
I don't mm. know, dude. That also does make me sad. I would, if I were them, I would have killed her. Why not? Yeah, that's that. I feel yeah, that's a really weird. I okay. mean, oh, I'm hesitant to call it a plot hole, but it kind of is. Like, why would why would why would and, that make sense? Unless they were just trying to spread the word of how scary Candyman is, but then in that case, killing her would have done the same thing. Yeah, leaving leaving a living witness is a bad idea for for them. I Not, know, right? I'm glad she lived, but like for for <laughs> that, that's bad. That 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 was a bad decision. And okay, gone in. Anyway. So he is the leader of the Overlords, the lead gang of this of this tenement block, right? Mm-hmm. And here, here lies the problem with the movie for me. This is the only issue I have with the movie because I think this is a something that seriously should have been brought up by one of the characters. Okay. Helen is the only person willing to testify against this gang leader. Leader. He is the leader, the guy says. Mm-hmm. They've been trying to pin stuff on him for years. Nobody was willing to testify. Helen is. How come she doesn't make that connection when she's later framed for kidnapping Anthony? That, hey, I'm a witness who's willing to testify against a known gang leader. And I was found in the gang's territory. Why didn't she just be like, clearly I'm being framed by them so I can't testify? Because once Helen is in the asylum, there is no one to testify against that dude anymore. Right. Right? Right. Um I, I want to say it's because she was too busy being fucking terrified of this dude with a hook. Like, no, that's, no yeah. that's the point. Is She is messing with a known gang, and at no point do her or the police go, maybe it's the gang trying to discredit her for testifying. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hello. Anyways, so right after that, she identifies him, and then she goes to talk to Jake and thanks Jake, and he's like, you lied to me, you got me in trouble, Candyman's gonna come after me, because... You said no one would know, but now everybody knows. Right. Okay. I think this is the most important scene because I think this is where she Fs up. She tells Jake that there is no Candyman, that he's not real. Yeah. And that a gang member or a bad man was just using that story to scare people. Right. I think that's when Candyman targets Helen. Yeah, I agree. He says so? Yeah, there's there's a, a quick line, I don't remember what scene, uh, later on where he's just like, um, you made my congregation doubt me, so now I have to kill a bunch of people. Thanks, so that they Helen. start believing again. Yeah. 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 Cause, like, you did this. It's on you. Because yeah. I think people miss that part because they're like, oh, what are the rules of Candyman? You have to say his name five times in a mirror. No, oh. because Helen <laughs> says Candyman five times and nothing happens. It's not until she tells Jake that he's not real that he appears like, okay, no, now you're making me mad. Yeah. Well, no, because yeah. she, she's not a part of his congregation. She's not a middle class white woman living in a he, really nice high rise. Yeah, but, but he's she's not one of her proving yeah. that he doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah they start to, the, to, to the kid who does belong in his congregation. Yeah. Yeah. And now a lot of people will. She discredited his story because now he's going to be blamed for the murders instead of Candyman. Yeah, she she put a human face on it. Yeah. Like, okay, it's not real. It's kind of I wrote a note that it reminded me of um, Freddy Krueger and Freddy versus Jason and how he needs the teens to remember him in order to get strong. Yeah, literally, he's a that. wraith. Yeah. yeah, they only have their like their their 
they have power through fear, and if you don't fear yeah. them, they can't hurt you. For oh, boogeyman, was also very dumb. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> oh man, I love you so. Loved it when I was a kid, though. Then it makes me wonder: Are any of the killings actually Candyman, or was I don't it this know. gang member? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say because they never they never clarify. Yeah, because the story of the kid getting his junk cut off. I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, God. I'm assuming it was the, that gang member. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Did the little boy say how long ago that happened? No, just that it happened in that bathroom. Yeah, because like in the in the flashback. Well, I mean, it's an unreliable flashback. In the flashback, the bathroom looks kind of clean despite all the blood. And then yeah. and then Helen goes into it, and it's a fucking a disgusting mess. And it made me wonder how much time had passed between. The castration and Helen's attack. It doesn't take long to write stuff in poop on the wall. Oh man, those toilets were fucked up. Uh, Destroy those toilets. Ooh, gross thinking about it. Anyway, the I, I think there's a time skip there. Was there a time skip? Because now she's healed. Unless he unless uh, she healed yeah, overnight. Yeah, there was like a no, there was a a time skip because um there's like a scene when the husband comes home from being a fucking adulterer. And like she's making dinner and stuff, and like she was like, "See, it's getting better." Like her eyes, like a little bit healed up. So like she, there's, there's definitely there were, a time. Skip. There was a yeah, there was a definite time skip. Oh shit! Mm. Maybe maybe between then and now is when she testified. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, there's a time skip, and her husband did a whole lot of cheating. Yeah, and, oh and that's when yeah. she finally goes back to school to work on her thing. Her friend yeah. gives her the photograph negatives, oh, and yeah. that's when she meets Candyman. For the first time. 40, 45 minutes into the movie. Yes, 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Oh, dude. And, like, I <laughs> personally, I thought that Tony Todd, like, he has such a fucking presence in this movie. It's like that 45 minute wait was worth it. Yes, I, I totally like, agree. Dude, he just, like, breathes such, like, refreshing air into the movie. And I was like, damn, dude, they really were waiting to introduce you. Yeah, and it yeah. totally, totally pays <laughs> off. He barely says anything. He's not hard to look at, too, which is nice. He's a good-looking man. But <laughs> it's weird hearing you talk about like like attractive older men who I think of as hella older than us. Well, they are hella older than us. I think he's like like, like seventy like dad age. <laughs> but like back then, Tony Todd was thirty-seven during the filming of. I'm just saying. I know. Okay. Now. I'm just saying. Oh, oh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, he's old. Anyway, yeah. I did make a comment earlier about Bruce Campbell, didn't I? That's why I mentioned it. I can't help that they were hot back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, but yeah, he's fucking. Well, no, amazing. I mean he's when intentionally he seductive when he's introduced. Yeah. Like oh my God! Don't even get me started. Don't get me started out. Dude, when he starts going, when he starts, he starts in with that fucking be my victim shit, I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, so yeah. yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. Mm. <laughs> Go on. Um, okay, so he goes into his thing. Uh, a lot of the uh, features when were in interviews when I saw with Tony Todd were talking about how he chose to portray the character as just as romantic as possible he considered it his phantom of the opera in a way yeah and it totally applies in the way he's just very 
there's like a melancholy vibe to everything he says, even though yeah. he's yeah. threatening. I thought, I thought there was something, and this is not me being like biased because I thought he was hot, but like there was something really seductive about his performance. Yes, yeah, very, very no, really I totally tried. agree. Yeah. What happens after that? Oh, she passes out. Yes, right. That's when she okay. passes out. And she, she wakes, wakes up in fucking <laughs> That scene is Holy so crazy. Shit, dude. It just comes out of no, because like you, you have this weird like hopeful moment where everything's better. She's she's healed. Candyman the killer, the human killer, is presumably behind bars. She's gotten her photographs back, and things are really good. And then just just throws you into like blood. I think that scene is it such a wild. massive like left turn. If you watched the movie with no prompting, mm-hmm. no idea what kind of movie this is, yeah. and then there's literally a dog head. Yeah. And a and then baby you get, crib full of blood. And then Kyle, know, right? you, get, you get Candyman for like, it's literally like a minute or two. Yeah, that was it. And then you get thrown into this. Oh man, oh my god, the dog, the dog, the dog head. The Ugh. dog head. And then she, oh, picks good up dog the, head. she picks up the butcher knife like an like idiot. Like an idiot! Oh, oh my god. Right? She, uh, don't, oh man. Uh. <laughs> so many you scenes see, where you're like, why? And then you just hear Anne-Marie screams in the back. You're like, oh and then they go and try to persuade someone to calm down with a knife. Yeah, dude, you're, you're job. covered in blood. And you're, I mean, she she looks like this is incriminating as fuck, like seriously caught red-handed. And then she, then she hits her with the fucking knife <laughs> as the cops are coming in. Yeah, because Anne-Marie understandably thinks that she stole her baby. Yeah. And then, or killed her baby, or killed her baby. Yeah, and so she fights her with the cleaver and cuts her. But then, if she had never picked up the knife, she wouldn't have really been incriminated because the cops would have came into Anne Marie beating up a white woman on the floor. Yeah, I I definitely that wasn't that also was not lost on me. The fact that like, if she hadn't picked up that knife, it would have been a black. It would have to the to the cops who are biased to this community. They would have just seen a black woman attacking a white woman. Covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Afterwards, she gets arrested and uh, strip searched. The actress who plays the security guard who's strip searching her was requested by Virginia Madison because she was one of her friends. So after Helen's strip searched, she goes to talk to the detectives and she keeps asking for the detective by name because she thinks that'll help. Since she no, was, I mean, like Amber said before, it was fucking privileged as shit. Yeah, felt so very privileged in a sense that she's not really understanding the gravity of this situation. Yeah, she's so far removed from that. I mean, like, like it's fair for her to think that she didn't do it, but it, it's it's pretty far removed from reality to think that like you are in any position to argue for your case. Like, do you know what you just did? I know, right? Or in the position you found yourself in, even 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 if she didn't do it, you still hit a woman in the arm with a butcher knife. In her house. Like you're, in, you're in fucking trouble for something. Plus, the, like I was saying before, though, if the, the fact that she woke up in the turf of the guy she was trying to testify, I, you figure one of the cops would have just been like, well, now we have no one to testify. It's awfully suspicious that she is taken out of the trial equation. Yeah. Right. It's weird that the cops wouldn't come to that conclusion. I could see why Helen wouldn't, because Helen's freaking the fuck out. 
but the cops at the very least should have been like, isn't this that woman? <laughs> so, she's she's our only witness. Yeah. And also, we we did say before, like we thought it was really naive for her to like think there would not be any retaliation. Why? Because she's so far removed from that world. Like, no, dude, they can find you. Yeah, and he's supposedly the leader. Yeah. So oh. she. You, would expect... you don't think he put up some, like put some of his like dudes up to confound yeah. you? Like a hit on her or something. Yeah. I mean, but... we know that it was Candy Ann, but right. But there's no reason why the cops wouldn't suspect that, especially since it took them so long to find anyone who was willing to testify. Right after that, she goes home immediately after calling Trevor, or she calls Trevor and he doesn't answer because he's not home at like three the in the morning. The fucking cop tells her that it's three in the morning, dude. <laughs> like, dude your, your husband yeah. is out there getting laid <laughs> specifically by 22 year olds because they're in a college right yeah it's a college did they say stacy's age no i'm just throwing numbers out there <laughs> oh okay like, college numbers. Oh, numbers i was like i didn't know she was 22 that seems no. even worse for some reason yeah. he no. doesn't strike me as the seductive teacher dude though whatever no, you know, you know what he, right he's like balding yeah. and all gross you know what he strikes attractive? me as like um his rapport with his students and that file first you no know, but like some a guy who's having a midlife crisis is what he's talking at. well yeah. yeah that makes sense yeah inappropriate relationships with your students pedophile not a pedophile she's yeah. legal she's young well barely they know of they never said her age That's true when i first started college i was 17. okay so <laughs> As soon as he's able, he's yeah. able to get her to go home, though. Like, there was no waiting. Yeah, he just got her out. wild, because her bail must have been amazing. Like, her bail. They could afford yeah. it. Damn, dude. Anyway. I know, right? She just go home the next morning. So to clarify, he thinks she's innocent at that point, right? Yeah, because at, at that point, like he, he doesn't think that she could possibly do anything like that. Yeah. I think. I think. He paid the bail, so. Oh, yeah. Probably. Okay. Finally, she she gets around to looking at the pictures that she took of Candyman's apartment. I think mm -hmm. that's his apartment, right? It's hard to say because you rent an apartment. He just lives there. Uh, it's his home. It's his abode. He was napping there later. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so she notices she took pictures of him from way before, and then that leads into the jump scare in the medicine cabinet. Yeah. Which. It, as mentioned, well, it's a legitimate one yeah yeah the legitimate one because uh oh, I, I, in the interviews they mentioned that he really scared her and then he felt all bad yeah. about it well because they said the director did told he didn't inform virginia madison they were going to do that they just scared the shit out of a woman well he convinced tony todd to and he didn't want to do it but then he felt he felt, bad. which yeah. frankly so i would i would feel pretty bad if i had to do that to someone she said in the interview that she just went straight, like she ran straight to the parking lot, didn't even think about it until she was there. Like, oh wait, they're just messing with me. Yeah, I mean, shit, it just flies out at you in the medicine cabinet. Ugh. Yeah, I think that would freak me out about medicine cabinets for a while. Yeah. Oh, but uh, then uh, she doesn't make it very far. She only makes it to the kitchen, and then that's when he he shows up and he pokes her in the neck. Oh no, she runs <laughs> the hallway, and he's in the hallway. Which okay. oh, that's right in the in the in the apartment complex hallway, and she runs back inside the apartment. Yeah, oh, it's like that's any safer. Well, it occurred to me that if Candyman wasn't supernatural and he was just a dude attacking her, she's running toward that door anyway. Oh yeah, 
I guess, but he's got like ghost powers, right? She doesn't know that yet at the time. She's not convinced he's no, a ghost. No, she could have just been in the other apartment. And then, uh, and then ran out the front yeah. door of that apartment after jump scaring her. It kind of reminds me of a Pokemon, if I could say. Yeah. <laughs> like, like those legendary Pokemons. Because there's mazes what? and they pop up in places. Yeah. What do you mean, what do you mean legendary Pokemon? What is that? Uh, I don't those, know anything about Pokemon. Okay, oh. those legendary Pokemons, they have like a special routine. They appear in front of you then they disappear and then you have to go find them in like a cave or somewhere they don't, but... they don't attack or anything no like you battle them for a bit and then they disappear then you have to battle them again <laughs> but that's what he reminds me of like there's all these scenes like oh here we go oh he disappeared a wild candy they're, man and, appeared and they're called legendary for that they're just the really hard ones they're like the bosses of the each oh, okay. yeah pretty game. much Oh, it's like they seem like nuisances. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they pretty much are. Totally yeah. are. Yeah. And he says, his, like, Candyman. Like, he says his name repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think he says it like that, but yeah. He'd be a bug type. No, uh, psychic. Psychic. So, yeah, yeah. Psychic bug. Ghost type. Psychic bug, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are there hybrid Pokemon? They have different types, like their abilities. Okay. No, I mean, so, like, can can two Pokemon? Can there be like a Bulbachew or? Oh no! Bulbachew? <laughs> Wait. Ew! That no, sounds no, so no. gross. Nothing like that, but it would be like a psychic <laughs> bug. What was saying? I didn't know if they can reproduce with each other. Uh. <laughs> they don't do that, do they? No interracial breeding Pokemon. Okay, I just wanted to ask. I didn't know. Bulbachew sounds like a fucking big leaf gum. All right, shit. Uh. Okay. Chew. All right. What the fuck are we talking about? How Candyman is a Pokemon? <laughs> okay. No. Oh no. The, okay. So this is when he pokes from the neck. Uh, yes. This is when he pokes from and then fucking Bernadette, dude. Oh my god. Oh yeah, that scene. Oh, like it happens off camera, like but damn. He fucks her up. I know. Why you gotta do her like that, man? In her and blossom like cap. Oh yeah, her little nineties. Oh yeah, she was the most nineties thing ever. Yeah, you should really go go look go rewatch that scene and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Her blossom cap, like long purple coat. And I was like, oh, you're so nineties. Totally, this movie's totally nineties without she being had, totally nineties. Yeah, she had pretty flowers at least. She could have but beautiful yeah. flowers. <laughs> yeah. She didn't even yeah. say Candyman, so. I know. I I don't know why people are so hung up on the whole say Candyman five times thing because he, he can pick and choose. You don't have yeah. to say it as long as he's summoned. Yeah. Yeah, and I think at that point he's like, I'm not fucking with you. Like he's like he's he's on a mission and he's just like, All right, I'm just gonna start. To kill. <laughs> I'm just gonna start killing people so I can frame how well, I'm. When Candyman, well. like actual Candyman, first appears like... in the movie. It's not after someone says Candyman. It's months later in a parking garage. Mm. You know what I mean? That's completely yeah. unrelated to mirrors anyway. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. we did. I think we said earlier, like, what it does it only matter when the people of Cabrini Green say Candyman? Because he believes in them? Could it be well, anybody? Because, like, cause, like he said earlier, he was like, you fucked up my congregation. But, like, if Helen's not part of his congregation, does it matter if she says Candyman? 
Because like, he doesn't need her to believe in him. He needs his congregation But to that's him. the thing, is his congregation is made up of the people of Cabrini. Is it possible that none of the people of Cabrini who are getting murdered by Candyman, is it possible that they're all getting killed by the drug dealer dude? I don't I think know. So. They're all on drugs. Well, no, I mean that the the violence against them isn't caused by the ghost. Because yeah. they point out that he is the one that killed Ruthie, yeah. or Ruthie Jean, the the guy well, who attacks the one, Helen. He's the, one who did, he, he's the one who passed her little boy in the bathroom, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah. possible that Candyman never actually hurts the people of Cabrini himself. Yeah. It's entirely yeah. possible based on that. Yeah. I do wonder, though, like, because... Was that things? Was that uh, the drug leader? Was he? Was his nickname Candyman? Yeah, he claimed. Okay. Well, he claims the Candyman nickname, and he carries yeah. around a hook to scare people with. Yeah, because I do wonder, like, maybe they both existed, but the Candyman that the little boy was talking about was the drug dealer Candyman. But that's it, what uh, I thought. Hmm. He was talking about the yeah. drug dealer. Yeah. Yeah. And does that only work for people in that area? Like, can other wondering. people see him? Because, like, if, if people who are not of that, like, class of that race of that community, if they say Candyman, does he even bother? Is what is I'm not part of his congregation. Part two takes place in like New Orleans, so it they kind of imply that it doesn't matter where in part two, but then part two was just. Eh. And then the third one was enough to kill the franchise. Oh no! I didn't see any of the. Yeah, they're not either. They seem like shit movies. Yeah, they don't actually establish any rules with Candyman because part of the whole thing is he's a myth and shit changes depending on the story. So the whole say his name five times in the mirror thing might not actually apply to the ghost because as he pointed out, he could do whatever the fuck he wants. He doesn't even wait for somebody. Oh, yeah. like maybe saying Candyman is not even a thing. Like he is, like he he does whatever he wants. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's possible. Yeah, totally. Especially shown what's in the movie. He makes his own rules. So Gosh. right after that is Helen strapped to the bed, and he flo- does the floaty thing over her, <laughs> and he yeah. kind of. I just cool wire work, right? Very cool. But then I was thinking about how they filmed the scene. And how they just had to ignore that he's down there when the when they when the because he floats rushing. down to the floor and it's hella funny looking. We all float <laughs> down here. <laughs> it's tangent. Okay, so then she wakes up, which she thinks is the next day, but it's been like a whole month, and she's been sedated the whole time, and she's like time crawling. Skip. Time, yeah. yeah, another time skip. There's multiple of them in this movie, <laughs> but then the guy turns out to be like, she's like, I want my lawyer, and he's like, I'm working for the defense. Yeah. Try to prove you know privilege. Not. Oh yeah. yeah, you're right. Could privilege and also she she does think that a year has passed. Man, like, but, like wrong with her. This is a this month. is when she finds out that she's been charged with first degree murder and she's figgity figgity fuck. I know, yeah. right? Dude, they... you're absolutely fucked. Well, because like, they she... they make it they make it seem like she was the one who killed Bernadette. Yes, very she much. Yeah. Realizes the situation. Yeah, like Trevor, and she Trevor comes home, finds Bernadette, goes to his crazy wife in the kitchen, and she's got blood all over her, and there's a knife in her hand. Yeah, so and poor Bernadette. That made me fucked up. That scene made me wonder whether or not Helen was killing these people. Like, is he possessing her and making her do it? Maybe. Yeah. 
I well, guess it would have to depend, like, the coroner would have to, like, check her wounds. They did show that if, he wasn't he... on the TV, so... Oh, that's true. When they show the footage Wait, back, he's oh, she's right, the only one right. that could see him. Yeah. But then he yeah. is able to affect things in the world, like, after she says Candyman five times to summon him. And then he cuts the wheelchair restraints, mm-hmm. like, man... If he didn't do that, then she could have been like, oh no, somebody yeah. obviously killed him. I am yeah. stuck. Man, but I think I, but Candyman's goal is to frame Ellen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I honestly didn't expect him to appear in that scene. Like, I thought he was going to be like, he's like, he's like, fuck you, dude. I'm going to kill this dude. I don't give a shit. I, I know, that's right? One of my like, favorite... you wanted that. Because it came I mean, out of fucking nowhere, Ellen. Yes. He just. Oh, absolutely nowhere. You don't expect him to kill like a super important person, like a doctor, in a full in a fully staffed hospital in the middle of the I day. I know, right? That doesn't happen. I love how that scene is shot because it's a jump scare on camera because he is in frame fully, and mm. it's the shot is held on him for a second, and then he goes Bruh, at the screen and the blood comes out. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's no cutaway or anything. Yeah. He just reacts to being stabbed from Candyman from behind, like, yeah. and then he just. Yeets out the window. Yeets out the window. Doesn't yeet out the window. <laughs> no, I mean, did, did Tony Todd really do that stunt? It yeah. looks like it. Oh, that's really dangerous. I mean, I, guess, I would like, assume. Well, he yeah, does I guess the it's tuck. Like fake plastic glass, like you work with Al. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be like candy glass like, oh, in no. the breakaway like window frame. Mm-hmm. Plus, we've been watching I a lot that. of that. It looks so violent. And it looks very like surreal the way he cartoony like very cartoony. And I noticed on my remastered 4K Blu-ray, they didn't bother to paint out the wire, which I appreciate. Oh, you can see it. It looks cool, but there's different parts of that scene where there's more gore, and you could tell the camera it's not. It's not like remastered. Yeah, because yeah. we, we watched the director's cut like unrated and it's just got more violence to it. More gore. And there's just shots nice. that are like not as high quality that you're saying. Oh. Bernadette's does Bernadette have an actual on screen death or no? No, it's just lingers on her body longer and shows like them digging through the photos. <sighs> the the split second scenes that I saw of her body were more than enough. She got fucking dude, she, and... she turns gray. Dude, I know, like, right? Yeah. Apparently, the actress had to lay there for hours for continuity purposes. Oh, I'm like, that sucks. Yeah, they're saying how like Virginia Madison would like hang out with her while they were resetting the scene and like try to make her laugh, but she just had to stay like that. Oh, that's nice. Like, she kept her company. Yeah, from what I heard, she's really awesome. In the interviews, like the kid who played Jake said how like. In between takes, she would like throw her coat around him and make sure he was warm because it was like snowing when they were filming. Like she's really, really awesome to work with. She's um, she's Michael Madison's sister, right? Yeah, Michael Madison yeah. is Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs. Ah, yeah. yeah. He's also so, uh, shit. What the fuck's his name in Kill Bill? Bud, the brother, Bud. Bill's yeah. brother in Kill Bill. Okay, so the next scene is a hospital scene. Well, I mean, as she runs away. Yes. There are no guards at this maximum security That's hospital. Yeah, like, dude. like yeah. how did she just get out? Like, oh, I'm going to wear clothes. And yeah. they're not going mean, to check everybody who's trying to yeah. get out, obviously. Gr- yeah, granted, she didn't take that lady's uh, uniform. But still, you'd think somebody would be like... I don't per- recognize like, you, co-worker. Yeah. Or like, hey, by the way, she does like do that weird... 
I think that's called strafing out the window. That's terrible. I know, like nobody saw that. Come yeah. on. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised she didn't fall because I was like, you're just waking up from being heavily sedated. And now you're walking with this terrifying window. But She's she, got she, this. Helen, Helen does become kind of a badass after this. Oh yeah, when oh, she, she comes was... home to the pink apartment. When she comes home to the fucking assault on like eyes. It, it's I know, horrifying, right? dude. Like even even for like a for like a 21, 22 year old like Stacy, that's a hideous color. It's yeah. 90s, man. 90s, Mel. Remember it's the 90s? Disgusting. In the neons <laughs> it's and like the salmon. ugly pastels oh in the God. 90s. It wasn't even salmon. It was like bubble gum. It was bubble gum. It <laughs> was bubble gum. Yeah. But oh, Stacy has that hilarious reaction when she falls in the door. I think she like falls off the thing and then she like laughs, cries, laughs, cries. Yeah, like I, I would. I'm pretty for sure she's trying to pull off terrified, but it felt like she's laughing. Yeah. But I guess I could see that being realistic as well. Like, you don't know how to react. <laughs> but I think that Trevor, the actor who plays Trevor and Virginia Madison, saved that scene because he looks terrified. Yeah. Virginia Madison yeah. fucking wild. That's like, it. I don't know Dude. what you're going to do. She like, I think she is Super more... leans into, like, her insanity. She's like, do it. She's all fucking, like, <laughs> super intimidating. She's I feel like, like it's the first time you root for her then, too. Like, yeah. yeah. That's true. Is, I feel like this is the first time she hasn't been, like, stupid. I, I know, know, right? Finally. Yeah. And she, she's, I don't, I don't. She's so in, intense in that scene that, like, she feels more menacing to me than Candyman. Because we were talking yeah. about earlier how, like, he's vaguely seductive. She feels threatening. Super seductive. But fine. He's super seductive. Yay, she feels oh threatening in that scene. Like yeah. she looks like she's gonna kill them. No. She looks like someone I wouldn't want to be in a room with. Yeah. Well, when, she mean... when she takes the phone off the hook and hands it to Stacey, <laughs> she's like, do it, bitch. Call, Call him. Like, because oh, can Candyman has like this kind of melancholy to him. Yeah, where... he seems in control of his Yeah, he's, he's very soothing and calm. Like he's clearly sad, but but yeah. in a is like, he with the killy way. Going in with the be my victim shit. Is he sad? So, yeah, very seductive. <laughs> Seductively <laughs> sad. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and then, but he does really cry in that scene. Like, how is probably... this being pushed to her like breaking point? Really though. I love how she breaks at the end yeah. of the scene, and then she just. She's After that, that's when she finally decides to just give up. And we're talking about how like. Oh, before how there are parallels to an abusive relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up because like the the hallmarks are all there. Like he's isolating her. I mean, by isolating, I mean killing all of her loved ones. <laughs> and framing. Um, he's gaslighting the shit out of her. Like I couldn't help but think like in the in the scene when the doctor plays back the footage of Helen, and like he's successfully making her feel like she's going crazy, which is like. Like, like absolutely typical like hallmarks of an abuser and what an abuser would do. Like he's yeah. making it so he's all she has left. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like he's yeah. an abuser. Yeah, and then she eventually does go to him, and I was like, oh, this is sad. Well, because it's important. He took everything to, like, away. And she yeah. got to save the baby. Save the does baby. She, but does she know that the baby's alive? She does yeah. though. Oh, she yeah, does. Because he yeah, shows her that, via vision. Psychicness. Yeah. It's psychic Pokemon. Yeah. Being that baby, honey. Don't ask. We don't know that. It could be anything on his finger. He's poking a baby. He's just poking it. We don't know this, honey. <laughs> they suckle my finger, super, baby. Super nutritious, honey. Baby's like, I need growing, real food. 
Can anyone Ghost... go into the corner store and picking up Similac for this baby? Ghost no, the baby hasn't <laughs> eaten anything in like a month. How? Poor, poor, poor baby. Does he change the diapers? Like, I need to know these things. Yeah, a these fun things fact, that are important. in the short story, the baby's dead, so there's that. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah that makes more sense. I, I feel that like does make more people sense. people would be like, you, this baby needs to survive, you can't kill this baby. In the short story, Helen's trying to rescue a dog because the baby's the thing that got killed. So she's going back for the dog. Yes. In the book, she's trying to rescue the dog who she thinks might starve to death in the abandoned apartment while Anne-Marie is dealing with her dead baby. Yeah, and they're like screaming, she's screaming, everyone's screaming, except for the dog. Yeah, but in the in the movie, she gets framed for it, but in the book, she's not connected to it in any way. She just finds out that the baby's dead and the dog uh. is alive. I'm telling you, the the short story isn't oh, as good. It's yeah, it sounds kind of weird. Right after that, she goes to see Candyman and his little church. She it's fucking. Totally, it's totally a church, right? I don't yeah. know. Well, I don't know what it is. It's not. Is it a church? It seems like more. It's more of a shrine. Um. So she's walking around her little church. She sees murals depicting the torture of Candyman, yeah. and then she finds him napping. Yeah, she she fucking hooks him. She's just got to sleep, man. <laughs> he just kind of yeah. shrugs it off and he fucking uses this like power nap. Power nap time. Power nap. Um, so it disturbs his slumber. He just takes it out like, okay. They have the little conversation where she says we had a deal, and he's like, oh, okay, I want to kill the baby. I don't know what he says. <laughs> I don't remember. But <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot about that. So she. Oh, yeah. She agrees to be his victim in exchange for saving baby Anthony. All seductive, like. Oh, yeah. And, oh, that was the scene where uh, he kind of hugs her and the camera spins around, which was censored by the studio. Who that was, was censored? That, that was, was censored. the censored part? Yes. They're they're hugged. Hugged. Oh, my gosh. They're hugged. Yeah, because according to Tony Todd, the studio wasn't comfortable with the implied interracial romance can't be happy that now because that's so kind of the point of candy man didn't we say fucking like jungle fever had just come out the year before yeah jungle it fever did in yeah people had fucking issues with like interracial couples back then people just like, have issues yeah. period <laughs> i know i know i mentioned it before in a fucking episode of fresh prince when like i don't remember who it is but like their cousin comes to his and she's like i have a new boyfriend and uh they're like oh we can't wait to meet him and he walks in and he's a white guy and the audience goes fucking nuts. That's how people reacted to interracial couples in yeah. the nineties. Because yeah, it's like it's so it's so crazy, isn't it? It's wild. And I'm like, the, the fucking two human beings who fall in love. I know, right? Like, calm down. Yeah. It's easy for us to say that though in 2022 because there's, there's a lot more representation for that. But there, back then there was none. Back then, yeah. back then they were making movies called Jungle Fever about fucking interracial relationships. Causing yeah, causing crap in the hood because of how insane it was. What I was know. that movie about? I have no idea what it is. It was about an interracial it just... relationship. That it did? That's all it's about? Causes drama in the hood. Yeah, that's pretty much all it's about. Uh, Damn, the... dude. That was a whole ass movie. I mean, <laughs> in one of the features, uh, I like talking about it because they interview the author of Horror Noir, which is uh, she's that whole book and then her show on shutter was about uh african-american and black culture's response to horror movies and 
their place in the horror spectrum. And at one point she talks about how Candyman is a big yeah, it's really, really interesting. This is on Shutter. Yeah, watch this documentary. Um, but at one point she talked about how Candyman is a big deal because on one hand they're being de- it black people are in the film are being depicted as the villain, which was okay because it's a matter yeah. of representation. You had at, for the first time you had Wesley Snipes appearing as a black action star and black romantic lead. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have a black man be the villain once it's acceptable for that you could see them as the hero in films. And yeah. it's crazy that that's the point. It was literally a year before that you got Wesley Snipes as the romantic lead in Jungle Fever of all things. You know what right. I mean? Like it took a long time for that to even become a thing. Yeah, way, just... way too long. <laughs> way too long for that to become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um Right, so after they do the little spirally dance that was censored, uh that's when they have the bumblebee kiss. Oh, that's disgusting. I thought that's it's, it's, it's so creepy. I guess I don't mind be if if like if they had if if instead of bees that scene was spiders, I would have died just watching it. Really? Spiders suck. Spiders are fucking terrible, dude. Uh, They're saying I'm how sorry. Uh, Tony Todd said <laughs> in an interview how but, like, in order to get over his fear, his bee wrangler guy locked him in a trailer with all the bees oh. and told oh, him to gosh. try naming them and familiarizing yourself with them. Uh, like that was Jeff. I couldn't do that. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no. with a fucking I mean, spider that lived in, I did that with the spider that lived in like. Cubby hole at my old place. I don't. I don't. I don't really like bees because I don't like needles. I I killed him when it became winter, and I needed my beanies. (laughs) Wait, didn't we have a spider in our apartment for a while? Yeah, we always have spiders. Just let them chill, eat bugs. They don't do anything unless they crawl on me. Then that's not cool. I didn't ask you to do that. Like that spider that crawled on our bed and. You caught it just in time before it crawled on me. I'm like, really, dude? Seriously? In this whole room? Yeah, in that same scene, he has the bees in his mouth, and then they have the <sighs> thing. And uh, like we said before, the bees on Virginia Madison in the scene were like 12 baby years bees. old. Or 12 hours old. Baby they bees. Baby so bees. They, so are they less likely to sting? Or they they have no sting? stingers. They have now oh. pokey bits. But they're just cute. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so they're cuter. And they're now terrifying. Tony Todd stung him. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, yeah. He had I mean. a clause in his contract where he got $1,000 per bee sting. Nice. And uh, he, it was a writer that he had through all of his Candyman movies until he made $23,000. So he stung about that. 23 times. That's how he course. said he was done like 26 so, times. So, so 20. 23 stings throughout the course of three movies though all three movies yeah uh, in the first it's, movie i remember reading somewhere he got stung nine times in the first movie it's much less than i thought but like you said before there's still everywhere. a lot of bees everywhere yeah, yeah. i would have thought with that many bees the likelihood of being stung would have increased but if, well, if they yeah. were good bees well behaved bees yeah good wrangler too i mean mm-hmm. 
the the likelihood of him being stung was higher because he was yeah. one of the only people stung yeah. in the production. So, and I guess he's like he's acting calm too. I'm sure if he was freaking out, the bees would have been how hostile. Okay, so uh, to the burn pile. Yes. So she wakes no. up. Oh god. Yeah, she wakes up <laughs> in the burn pile. No, she doesn't wake up in the burn pile. She wakes up and oh, she finds it. Candyman's gone, and she picks up the hook and goes after him because he she knows he's taking the baby to the burn pyre. Yeah, well, she hears the baby. Is it pyre or pile? Pyre. It's a pyre. Well, it's a pile. It's pyre pile. A pyre is a specific place to burn something, I suppose, like like an altar that you burn, or like oh. a, a barbecue pit would be like a pyre. Hmm. In this case, it's just a pile of junk that they're going to set on fire. Yeah. So I guess pile okay. works. Uh, uh, yeah, but she like she wakes up and she hears the baby crying in the middle of the pyre, and it made me wonder why no one else heard the baby. I know, right? Like, come on! Like, if, if she can hear, if she can hear that baby cry from how a, many stories up? I thought it was a psychic thing. Like he was calling psychic baby. cry. That, that would because explain why she was. He's turning into a Pokemon. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but she, well, no, I mean. He, the last thing he says to her is that his congregation is going to witness oh, another miracle, them dying together and becoming immortal in story. So I think he's clearly trying to lure her into the pile so that they could all burn together, right? Yeah. Just like Surprise a family. It didn't collapse onto her. It does collapse onto her. Yeah, That's but like she... as, as, she's, as she's fighting her way through it to get to the baby, I was no, like, she... I'm surprised it didn't just completely collapse on her and the baby and they both died. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, they lived. It's, they it's, had the most, it's the most stable pile of trash I've ever seen. Well, I mean, I think it would have been cooler if she died via crushage, not just yeah. burn injuries. Well, I, no, well, I but like the, how the they burns did it, make her look super badass at the end. Because she, she crawls out with the baby, just saying. We didn't say that part. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, she, they set the... she, she goes okay. in there. Do, do they and... set the pile on fire because they see her go into it? Yes. So they're Jake trying to kill sees, her. No, yeah. Jake sees the hook. And he yeah, he just candy glares. Man. He's like, oh. it's Candyman. I'm like, yes. okay. And I mean, then... As far as, as far as they know, Candyman doesn't exist anymore because he's in jail. I know, but he, he doesn't believe that, so of he wants to yeah. kill Candyman. He's the most convincing little kid. He's convinced everyone to set it Well, I guess they were always going to set it on fire. Wouldn't you be nervous to kill Candyman? Like, you're not scared he's going to kill you? Well, or... is, so technically, mm -hmm. I feel like that layer was the drug dealer's layer, and he worshipped Candyman, because that's where Helen finds that hook. And that's right. not Candyman's hook, that's that drug dealer dude's hook. Because it it's shaped different, and the handle, it has a handle. But she, Jake sees the hook, and he rallies all of the people to set the pyre on fire and burn Candyman. I don't think he knew that Helen was even in there because as far as they know she's still in the hospital. Oh, I thought she I thought I thought he saw her go in there. No, they he, But then he does say Candyman. But I thought that he saw her walk in there. When they show Jake look where is Jake homeless? Cuz it looked like he was sleeping in a hallway or something. No, I think that's just his hallway. That's where that's where um He was just taking a nap. He's on a blanket. Uh uh, who knows, honestly, but I'm pretty sure he has a house. Maybe he doesn't want to be in it. Maybe he's just watching but, the pyre for Candyman to climb in. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, they set it on fire. Yeah, they set it on fire. And all three of them be- are in the... <laughs> and then he just, like, as she's crawling out of the pile with all this cool burn makeup on her... No, I mean, she, like, she, like, hooks the fuck out of him, and then she looks like Darth Vader and she, all. She pokes him with a stick, and then he, yeah. he burns. Right? Dude, yeah. and that, like, that burning, uh, like, fucking pile of wood just comes crashing down on her and the baby. And I was like, there's no way this baby came out unscathed. No, no, no she cradled it. It's all good. Oh. Baby should have died of, like, smoke inhalation. But anyway. Or just, like, suffocation, because there are some points where she's, like, on fire. Like, his, his face <laughs> is like, wait, all that smoke? I know, oh, right? Hot baby. So they actually set Virginia Madison on fire. That's like her first ever fire stunt she ever did. She did yeah. a fire stunt for that? Yeah, that was her. She said she the... actually got to do the fire stunt for that That'd scene. That would be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. Fire stunts, whenever I see like footage of people doing, or actors doing fire stunts, I just get filled with so much anxiety because it's so dangerous. It is oh yeah, you don't it's like fireworks, so huh? Fucking, oh, that's I right. Know. I forgot you don't like fireworks. <laughs> They're just loud and they can be unpredictable. <laughs> and sparklers kind of scare me. <laughs> I remember that. They're pretty, but like they scare me. Um. So she crawls out and hands Anne-Marie baby Anthony. And then she and... dies knowing that she saved the baby. And Jake and everyone else could see Candyman's body in the fire. But they acknowledge, like, which yeah, is... you guys set him on fire. Which is weird to me. Because, like, is he real? Is he a real corporal? Is a corporeal being? He's able to fly through a window. That is, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. He's able to kill so people, like, so. He's so. living it's immortally. True. Yeah, he's just okay. like he could phase in and out of reality, I guess, whenever he wants. Okay. Yeah, so I was just like, oh, I can't believe he's like, real. what? Uh, there was that weird, really bad CGI like fire explosion. Was that supposed to be him dying? Yeah, I well, thought those bees being on fire, right? They're flying uh, bees on fire. Were they? I get it now. I thought there were bees. And they're like, oh, no, look no, at all the bees dying. They're, they're probably bees. I thought it was just like some random. It looked like a sparkler effect. Like the ones I'm scared of. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but no one acknowledged that they almost killed her. Or, I mean, her? they they, they did kill her, her and they almost killed a baby. They're yeah. just like, no, we killed Candyman. Push her aside. No, no, they 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 go to her. And yeah, no, they her. they go to. I was yeah. talking about uh the little boy Jake, right? I think they acknowledged that she helped defeat Candyman because yeah, and she, and she yes, but he's like so Anne-Marie's focused like, on Anne-Marie's like eternally grateful to her for that at the very least. Yeah. He was so focused on Candyman dying. He's like, Yes, die. Was, I'm like, but weird. what about her? Yeah. <laughs> it was weird to me that like what they chose to put into her grave. That is my favorite scene hook? of the movie. I, I, I do love, love that scene. scene. Why Trevor, the hook though? Well, Trevor and Stacy and uh, Passel and uh, the lawyer are the only people at the funeral at first. At the priest, but he's hired to be there. Oh, yeah, and the priest. But then you have to hire a priest? I don't know. Do they just take on whatever case they want? Uh, I don't know. I'm not doing this for free. Do you know how expensive funerals are? I don't know how they It costs money to die. 
I thought it was provided by the funeral. It doesn't uh, matter. Um, <laughs> well, the, he he's there out of obligation because he's yes. I thought it been, was creepy that Stacy came to the funeral, but whatever. Fucking dude, so disrespectful. <laughs> so like, disrespectful. how dare you? Um. <laughs> So it's after that, you fucking bit. Anyway. toward the end when they're getting ready to bury her, that's when the congregation of Candyman and the yeah. citizens of Cabrini Green come to pay their respects. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jake and or Anne Marie comes, and then Jake walks up and then drops the hook into Helen's grave, indenting a coffin. <laughs> no, <laughs> take that. No kidding. Um. I love that scene, and my favorite part of that is the fact that they don't acknowledge Trevor at all. Yeah, like, we didn't come for you. Yeah, they just pay their respects to Helen and then walk away. Yeah. So, what what are they intending by giving her the hook? Is she becoming a new legend? Pass the baton. Yes, sort of like a pass the baton kind of thing, but basically what they ended up doing is they effectively defeated Candyman by replacing him with Helen. Okay, so Helen is so gonna give her superpowers, right? Pretty much, is that's she, what happens, right? Because is she gonna haunt like upper middle class people? Or <laughs> haunt the white people. Haunt the white people. Ticket to them. <laughs> uh, um, so, well, well, right after that is the scene of Trevor mourning and Stacy getting mad that he's sad, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, and, I was yes. like, how dare, how dare he just like sit in that bathroom? Oh, but now he's suddenly regretful. Dude, fuck you. Well, he's having flashbacks of how much better she was at making dinner. Yeah. So. Like, I actually <laughs> loved her. Yeah. She made a cake. Stacy gets mad. Like, oh, you're going to be sad. Help me make salad. Yeah. And, and angrily like, throws angri- meat. Yeah, angrily cutting up meat and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, dude, read the room. Both of you suck. I know, yeah. right? So th- we get to the scene where he starts. He says her name in the mirror five times. Do you, do you think he's summoning her, or is he just repeating her name? No, out he's of, just like, sorrow? weeping. Yeah, he's okay. sorrowful. Okay, that's what I. That's he, he doesn't know the Candyman myth. He did, wasn't there to talk to his wife to begin with. So well, he heard about the dinner. Yeah, he heard about the Candyman story but from. D- did he but, know no, how I... to summon? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, but also I don't think he would know that she's the new Candyman. Maybe yeah. Okay, that's what I was. That's what I was wondering. I was like, does he yeah. know to say her to summon her? But he, yeah, he probably. Well, she. So does does Helen have like? Because she appears, but she does. does she have powers to haunt people that have what she had, like ignorance, basically, to begin with? So she well, tries teaching I don't, I don't, people. I don't know. I don't. It's how to properly suffer no i don't think she has the desire to be immortal through story like Candyman does like she's like fucking angry now and want to get revenge yeah she seems more like a wraith yeah vengeful spirit versus yeah a, a haunting one you know what i mean like yeah uh, she even says the line to him that she said to him in the apartment like scared or something yeah and then she attacks him which i totally point out the fact that Stacy comes in carrying a knife. Yeah. <laughs> After getting blood on it and blood on her hand from cutting uh-huh. herself. So oh, did gosh. she just get so... framed for killing Trevor? I, I feel like that's what they're oh, implying. Yeah. I yeah. think that's something Helen would have done. Also, she was not wearing a bra. 
No, no, not at all. Well, she's at home. I thought it's the nineties. Yeah, but that was like a weird dude. I don't even just wear pants she... when I cook at home. Freezing nips. Yeah, but like, okay, let's just be real. This is movies that. Do you think the director told her to go braless, or was that maybe to give the appearance of more youthfulness or whatever? She's a Parky trashy, boobs? trashy girl. I don't know. like just just make her seem less likable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was just like, oh, it's very, very apparent that she's not wearing a bra. I mean, I don't like wearing a bra, but... I don't like wearing a bra either. Yeah. Neither does my cat. <laughs> I don't have to. What? I have to. Over <laughs> <laughs> right, because you have roommates. Oh, yeah. No, because my... I have my... tiny titties. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, uh. these, these boobs are pretty. <laughs> huh. anyway, yeah. Is that, the stro- is that what you were referring to, Amber? Yeah. With the strobe lighty death scene? Yes. yes. Oh, oh, the, there's a sexy strobe light scene. Because I don't uh-huh. know, like, how she Helen... She's like, she oh, look at me. I'm going to rave. Yeah. Uh, uh. She vogues while she stabs him. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> so she's clearly getting pleasure out of doing like that. She's, she's into this new yeah. form of torture now. All right. Good night. <laughs> so how would you rate this film? Out of how many what? Ten. How many rupees? Wait, out rupees. Of ten oh, usually, bees. Oh. Wait, ten bumblebees. Do we usually do five? Or five bumblebees. Or... I don't even know. I don't know. It's, it's like been 2 a.m. <laughs> it's been months um, since we've done one. Out of five, then. Oh, uh, uh, I would give it like a good 4.75. Yeah? Bumblebees. Yeah, it's like, I, I love the movie. I think it's great. I'm, I'm not a fan of how, like, the... Like obviously, like this is the a story of a black community being told through the lens of a white woman, and her decisions do frustrate the shit out of me. Of course, it's, I think that's yeah. why I'm not giving it a five out of five. <laughs> well, there that, are a lot of times where I get really frustrated with her. I think that's uh, Point, makes it even still... better because they're invoking that emotion of frustration out of you. Well, it doesn't make it better for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> is just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not doing a good job. That's sure. true. But uh let's see. I think I would give it maybe like four point five or so. It's a really, really solid movie. It really is. Yeah. Um and lots of bees. Bees, bees, bees. <laughs> but I think it was a really good tell to like show other people and it kind of inspires talk, and it's one of those horror movies that are up there on the charts because of not only how well it's done, but all the other messages it conveys, and it holds a deeper meaning. And I really like that because of that. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, okay, I, obviously my rating is going to be a five. This is one of my top ten favorite movies from when I was a kid. Again, growing up in a project's type environment this was one of the only films where i could see myself in that setting if that you kind of connect to it yeah i kind of connected a bit more to it yeah granted i'm not african-american or black or anything but i understood exactly what were, what was going on in this movie just the naive annoying rich person walking around our neighborhood trying to make us like a freak show or like you know, like a circus act. I'm going to take pictures of these weird people. Stuff like that happened in my neighborhood all the time. Mm-hmm. So I 
totally saw where all the other characters were irritated with this random cop looking lady walking through their neighborhood but yeah you kind of make her a white savior in the end now i don't like that trope not a fan of it the white savior trope yeah that's true yeah but it is the 90s this is kind of back when the white savior trope was the norm like if they were to do that now do you want the blind side i I do like how they address the class and the race issues that yeah have to come up with having like the main horror character being a black like villain but yet you don't really feel like he's a true villain but that's the thing i love how even though he's the villain they gave him that story of is he though because the reason he's so pissed is right he loved someone and they killed him yeah like there was injustice and it kind of rings in that movie and i think that's something that people should still be looking at that part like there's injustice to be had and that's his whole story like people need to hear the true story one of the things about the movie that i enjoyed and i remember thinking this when i was a kid too was the fact that we're talking about the environment and movies like boys in the hood were still fresh in everyone's mind and that was like one of the earliest times white america was exposed to hood life type stories and Mm -hmm. the fact that the setting of the derelict apartment like block and the the government housing area was an exotic terrifying thing that no one talked about and you had this character exploring them like some sort of museum piece really tells to the not only the time period just that's part of why the movie is so iconic is it applied it in a way that yeah it's scary damn it look at it it's scary and this is how we live right. monster ghost aside this is scary i mean yeah. this did this did too like the the timing because rodney king had happened the year before it was during a really relevant time like shining a light on like you know black injustice coming from biased police you know what's interesting you point that out but this movie came out around the same time but it was in production before that happened in just a weird coincidence that it happened during such a fiery time yeah it made the movie more relevant because of it happening at the time which is weird because the 2020 i was gonna mention that sequel came out right before or right around the same time of George Floyd. George Floyd. Yeah. That wasn't planned. They were already in production before that happened. And it just It's just an ongoing mess that obviously needs to be like reevaluated and fixed, but I mean awful things just keep happening. They keep happening. We have we have the social media and like um things have gotten easier i guess i mean like the 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 cops that beat up rodney king didn't see a minute of jail we're talking about the true story of ruthie may mccoy and how when it happened to a white woman there was legislation made and there was all sorts of things what the thing with ruthie may mccoy happened she was the fourth murder that month and they didn't even bother doing an internal investigation in the misconduct of the police they, they called it a hoax which is fucking wild that any any policeman responding to a 911 call would be like oh that's a hoax right that's fucking ridiculous yeah 
And if people just would acknowledge, like, all the loopholes and, I guess, just the parts that should be addressed, it could start getting better. But yeah. I, I, mean, I, and I think that's why yeah. this movie does such a good job because, yeah, Helen's stupid. She does stupid stuff that doesn't make sense, but maybe other people don't see why she's stupid until it happens that's very true from that perspective from the people who watch the movie and identify with helen they probably wouldn't really understand either especially in the time period this film came out there's still still people now who don't understand fair enough but i guess like the black experience in america is not really something you would be able to understand unless you're black and that's why Right. I, I highly recommend you watch the new one because okay, okay, I made a mistake. It, it does okay. explain it in a way where the just common audience should be able to connect and see. Yeah, I'm not going to call Candyman. That doesn't make sense. Or well, not even that. The fact that the tagline for the movie for the new one is "Say his name." That's the point of the story. Is you shouldn't is be. That- what? Is that a, is that a reference to Brianna Taylor? Yes. Yeah. The Candyman tagline for the new movie was "Say His Name" because the entire theme of the new sequel, Ooh. and mind Ooh. you, it's the Sorry. same exact story as the first Candyman, but it's literally being told by black filmmakers. It's the yeah. first. Well, it's, it's the first it's through the lens of a black protagonist. Exactly, and the yeah. whole main theme is not. Look how scary the inner city life is. It's look at what happened to these people. Right. And that made them into legendary ghosts. Look what happened and to Candyman. Don't That's forget the tells. Don't yeah, never forget what happened. You call them Candyman to erase the fact that he was a real person that was wronged. That's mm-hmm. the whole theme of the new movie. Highly recommend you check it out. It does it do is justice to the 1992 movie while the new one is a sequel it is a remake but it's a remake of a as you said a story about black people told through the lens of a white woman but the new one is a remake of a story about african-american community told through the lens of an african-american protagonist yeah and it's totally different but it is a remake yeah now would you say african-american or black no if if you notice that i'm switching back and forth from saying african-american and black it's because a lot of my friends growing up were jamaican and took offense to being or or you could have french people that are black but you're not going to say african-american they're french i that's why i say black (laughs) i okay edit this out for like um my uh my friends she's um she's black and she's doing right now she's getting her phd in critical race theory and Mm -hmm. she says um in her papers she always uh refers to african americans as black because like they could be jamaican american they could be african american they could Mm -hmm. be british but because like their experience is the same everywhere and they experience the exact same like kind of injustice everywhere that she refers to them as black that's why like poc has been changed to be poc because like Black and black people and indigenous people's experience in with racism is different than someone like us. Yeah, of course. 
I'm Asian. <laughs> it doesn't apply yeah. to me. It's okay. I'm a Caucasian. We're all Asian here. <laughs> all right. So, uh, that, that, <laughs> thank you for listening to What Happened Was True. That was Candyman from 1992. Check you out. Yeah. Or, Sorry. Oh, yay. Well, continue. Hurry. Of, of, it's been a long time. Hopefully, it won't be another six months before our next episode. <laughs> Hopefully, so, now we're settled in. I know, finally. LA, <laughs> LA life. Uh, till next time. Uh, I've been Lex, Amber, Mel. Catch you on the flip side. Bye, Mel. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye.